Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing well. Really, really good set of callers tonight. A great show. We started off with uh, a single mom who wanted to... Oh, wait. Hang on. Sorry. Baby's crying. We then went into tipping, the philosophy and economics um, behind tipping. And for those interested, some of my stories from my days as a waiter, we returned to a single mom call and had a great chat with a single mom about everything that led to what is occurring for her in her life and what she can do to help her son grow up healthy and strong. And then we talked about atheism, and then we had a call about how honest should you be in business with customers, with uh, managers, and maybe even with coworkers. It's a bit of a fine line. And last but not least, we talked about what can we do to save Lebanon and Lebanese people from a very active thinker in Lebanon. And we talked a little bit about the history and the culture and uh, what, if anything, could be done. Please remember, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help us out. FDRURL.com slash Amazon. Just make it one of your starting homepages. You know you shop. You know it'll help us. FDRpodcast.com. And like, subscribe, and share everything you can get your hands on. Erica Rodin said, I am a single mother of a two-year-old. The, the statistics show that children raised in houses with single moms do less well than those raised to a happily married couple. Is there anything I can do or focus my parenting on to ensure my son grows into an adult with the least problems possible? That's from Erica. Erica, do you have access to a time machine? That's the first <laughs> question I need to get. Um, what, was it? what was it? Was a guy? I don't. The creationist I, we had on recently. Sorry to interrupt. The creationist we had on recently wanted to. He, he can't remember. What did he refer it to? Is it Mike? Do you remember? Oh, he I don't know, gonna, but it like was he, brilliant. I loved it. It was something because it was like, uh, I'll accept evolution if I a time dilation panty or something like that anyway. So sorry, Erica, for tangent, tangenting off right at the beginning. I normally wait at least 30 seconds, but uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for calling in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So for, for, the, for the background, um, I'm not going to. You know, the, tr- the truth about single moms is a presentation, and I've got a bunch of presentation on single moms. So, mm-hmm. you know, accept that for those who are new to this conversation, accept that the outcomes are, are bad in general, not for everyone. Right. Um, I, I'm the child of a single mom, right? So the, the outcomes are bad, but, uh, um, you know, your question is, what can I do? But I have a question, and I'm sure you know what it is, right? Um, no, I don't. Well, as the Talking head song goes, how did I get here? Okay. How, how did you become a single mom, Erica? Um, well, I was, I was with a guy and we... <laughs> okay. I'm with you so far. I, I believe, with one exception, Mary, uh, that uh, you were with a guy. Yes. <laughs> um, and, I mean, looking in the relationship, looking back, we, there were a lot of red flags um, right off the start, but we ended up in somewhat of a long-term relationship. And uh, what does that mean? Because you're young, so I don't know what long-term means anymore. <laughs> Is that like a long weekend these days? Like, I don't know what does that mean. Three days. No, a, a somewhat long. Oh, you want to take time? You want to take a moment? If you if your kids up, I don't feel like you got. We we can pause. You we can edit. Don't worry about that. You can okay, yeah. He just yeah, yeah. Take in. take time. Listen, go. The, the first thing is go deal with your kid, not not this call. Do you want us to come back if we take another call, or do you want us to wait? Sure, would that work? Okay, yeah. He's- yeah, yeah. We'll we'll. I'll, I'll remember where we are. We'll. Um, I'm happy if you take time with your kid. We'll 
okay. we'll we'll come back on this. All right. Yes, I'll go put him back to bed, and I'll I'll be yeah, absolutely. When I'm done. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Get the duct tape, and okay. then we'll continue. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks. All right. Well, up next is Nick. Nick wrote in and said, Steph, please ap- apply rationality to the social convention known as tipping in America. Waiters, valets, taxis, delivery guy. In my opinion, it's the least universalized standard ever. And I feel like <laughs> I surf every time I conform to this standard. And inflation. You feel you what? Surf or surf? I feel like I surf every time. I'm sorry. I'm a surf. Ah, I feel like I am a surf every time I can okay, to the standard. Because <laughs> surfing sounds fun. So, I mean, body surfing is fun. I've never actually surfed with a surfboard because I like my head still attached to my body. But body surfing is great, at least until um, you sand away your chest hair. But that's topic for another time. The average okay. service I tip is 20%. Great service is 25 And crappy service is 10 to 15 Should I be tipping more people who aren't covered by the standard convention, like Steve Martin in My Blue Heaven? That's from Nick. Hey Nick, how you doing? Oh, I'm real well. Good to speak with you, Steph Bot. You know, it's a uh, it's it's a fun question. I I was a waiter for a number of years as a teenager, and um, you know, I will sometimes say this to waiters now because when when I was a waiter, um, people didn't pay at the table, right? Like you now, like I say to waiters now, like they'll they'll you know what they do? They bring the machine to you, right? And you got your card or whatever it is. And you put your card in, and they stand there while you enter the tip, right? Right. And now, I didn't have that hovering head of peroxide doom floating around me, glaring at me while I entered the tip. Before, you could just put your tip in and escape before anybody knew what was happening, right? I mean, because you'd be gone, right? Yeah, in the parking lot by the time they look and say, what, you stiffed me? No, right? So, um so waiters, I just wanted to mention, waiters have got it a lot easier now. It's more like being a bellhop because y- y- don't you feel conscious of, of tipping when the waiter is standing right there, there with that big, beady, grabby, sore on eye staring at you like as you enter your tip? That's a different planet than it used to be. Oh, yeah. And, you know, God forbid it's like a pretty girl. And then you're instantly like, oh, whatever it is, I'm going to double it. You've got some eggs for sale. Yeah, no, I, I get it. That's uh, <laughs> Let me impress you with my tipping. And then maybe you'll take more than a tip. Oh. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a different planet. Um, I, I know what you mean uh, about, about tipping. And um, I don't know if you know the <laughs> – let me bore you with the history of it. Do you know what TIPS actually stands for according to what I know? I have not obviously verified it independently. But TIPS stands for T-I-P-S, to ensure prompt, prompt service. Now, it should be TEPS because ensure, ensure, but to ensure prompt service. So what would happen is before you would sit down at the restaurant table, you would give the waiter a tip and then the waiter would pay more attention to you and bring you a food faster and, and fill, refill your water and all that kind of stuff. So it was originally something you paid before to get better service. That's my understanding of it. And, you know, if it's an urban myth, I'm sure 8 million people will tell me in the comments, but that's my understanding of it. And then it changed. For, I don't I have no idea why. And then it became something you did after the fact. Now, it's different if you are in um, in a sort of repetitive sort of situation, like you go to that restaurant every week. Uh, but if you're just passing through and so on, obviously, there are no negative consequences to it. But I do love the idea of tipping because when people say, well, who would pay for something if you didn't have to, you know, like 
national defense or roads or whatever it is, right? Again, a free society without a government, a stateless society. Who would pay if you didn't have to? And I'm like, I think like it's everything in my life prepared me for this conversation, not just you, but this this whole this whole deal, free domain radio philosophy, this show, voluntarism, the whole deal. Because I lived on tips. You know, this is back in the day when a coin meant something. So like by the, I remember at one re- restaurant, we had to wear these aprons and, and you'd sort of shuffle your tips into your um, apron. And like by the end of the night, you sound like an army of chainmail clad knights because you've got this giant bag of, like, it's like you're, you've got these udders of coins uh, floating around, which you then cash in. And um, yeah, so back in the day, I had to live on tips. Now, full circle, I live on tips. <laughs> <laughs> to, to ensure prompt uh, Steph bot, uh, please go to freedomainradio.com slash donate. So, but the fact, like I could trust that I could live on tips as a philosopher because I lived on tips as a waiter. You know, I mean, in Canada, I can't remember, like a buck fifty an hour. It was nothing, right? You, so you had to be pleasant. You had to be positive. And, you know, I started at a pizza place and I ended up at a really high-end seafood restaurant. Uh, I could describe a profiterole enough to make a statue's mouth water. I mean, I could really... I uh, do that well. And, uh, and I, you know, at the high-end restaurant, it was really nice because I got to see people who'd really made some coin. Like, I remember one guy came in, I guess, with his girlfriend, and he just hit it big uh, in the stock market or something. And he's like, just get me your, your most expensive bottle of champagne. I'm like, dude, it's 750 bucks. He's like, I don't care. Just get me your most expensive bottle of champagne. And uh, can I tell you? No, it's too embarrassing. He never finished it. Are you kidding me? He, he like he he finished most of it. I'm not saying I went in there like with a Hoover and a straw, but uh, yeah, he, uh, he he didn't finish it. And I was like, I wonder what that tastes like. And it's like, actually, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'm not 750 bucks back in the day. That's like a lot more now, but uh, it was pretty good. Anyway, I won't bore you with all my waitering stories, but um, uh, it is one of these things where it's a convention and people do it. They don't have to, particularly if they're passing through. They're never going to see these people again, particularly if. There is um, uh, so yeah, if they're passing through, and, and in the back in the day when you'd be long gone before the waiter even saw it, and um, you know, I remember at, a, at the pizza place there was a kids party, and it was like an insane kids party. I mean, they basically just cherry bombed all of the pies, and that was like pizza on the wall and stuff. And you're like, that's a drag because when you're cleaning that up, you're not serving and getting more tips. And I remember it was like $85 and it was a $1.70 tip because I guess they just didn't bring enough money or something like that. And those people were like, I was coming over and I was like Moses with the Red Sea because I was coming over as they were leaving and they were all, I guess they were embarrassed or whatever. Uh, and they just fled. And uh, actually people were just laughing like, oh my God, you got a $1.70 and you got to clean that up. <laughs> you know, because waiters are all about the solidarity. Solidarity, brother waiters. So, um, but it's a cool thing because people will pay for something they actually don't have to. And if they don't pay, they get cheaper meals, right? Because meals are cheaper because customers pay part of the salary. At the majority of the salary of the waiter comes from the customer. So if nobody tipped, then the restaurants would have to increase the price of the meals to cover the fact that the waiters would now need to earn like $15 an hour rather than a couple of bucks an hour plus tips. So the fact that people tip, people say, well, it's adding to the cost of my meal. It's like, no, it's not. Because if you didn't tip, 
if nobody tipped, the cost of the meal would just be higher. So it, it kind of all comes out in the wash. And what's also interesting is that in, as far as the free rider problem goes, every individual has an incentive to not tip, right? Because they're getting cheaper service. You get a cheaper meal in a restaurant. Your meal is 10 or 20% cheaper because people tip, right? Right. And so, so everyone has an incentive to not tip because they then get subsidized meals from everyone else who does tip. But virtually everyone tips, even if they never come back, even if they can be well out in the parking lot before anyone finds the tip. Just about everyone. Now, I was a very good waiter, so, I mean, I got lots of tips. But just about everyone tipped uh, and tips. And so this idea, well, who would pay for national defense on the roads? And it's like, I, I've been there. I, I like. What's funny is that 98% of my customers tipped when I was a waiter, merely bringing them food and telling them a few engaging stories. <laughs> 98% of my customers tipped when all I did was bring them food. I bring rationality, philosophy, and enlightenment to the planet, and 2% of people tip, right? <laughs> just the people who actually pay, who watch the show. So it's just kind of like, wow, all, you know, I shouldn't be serving up philosophy. I should be giving you a pizza, and then you'd tip me for sure. But just because I'm only giving you philosophy that saves civilization and possibly even your future happiness and, and your wealth and your security, and, you know, all I'm doing is saving civilization. So... You know, maybe if I was bringing you a profiterole, I would get a tip and maybe some leftover $750 bottle of champagne. <laughs> it's just kind oh of funny. Oh, my gosh. Right. So should you tip? Yeah, you should tip because otherwise you're a free rider. And, you know, in the same way that people, yeah, if you're listening to these shows and enjoying these shows, you should damn well donate to the show because otherwise you're relying on everyone else. Well, shouldn't say you're relying on the eight other people on the planet who have a conscience. Uh, so... um yeah, I think it's interesting, and it's a fascinating example of something that seriously shouldn't work, but does. Really interesting perspective, you know? I, I didn't anticipate that would be your response. I mean, the fact that if you didn't tip, the cost of the meal would be increased, and so it would be passed along. Someone's got to pay the waiters, yeah. and if it's not you, it's going to be the restaurant owner, and he's not going to take it out of his profits because right. restaurants make like – four dollars for every million dollars like restaurants is like very thin margins for a lot of restaurants right right uh, and um yeah someone someone's got to pay for the waiter and um you know until those japanese robot sex waiters come over with a profiterole <laughs> and a hand job i mean you've got to pay for the waiters can't wait maybe you could combine the two no. <laughs> it's right maybe that you know anyway so so yeah i mean i think it's 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 one of these things that's kind of it's fair and it totally indicates i mean if 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 something as unimportant as being a waiter can can rely on convention and tipping, I think something as important as national defense, though of course maybe not philosophy, can can rely on that too. Oh, completely. And, and really, I mean, the ostracism more comes from your date. You know, like if you don't tip, like your girl, is de doesn't matter how engaging you are over the conversation, you're not going home with her. You know, so it's it's enforced on all. Oh, I knew, I knew for sure. I knew for sure that I had to give a great date experience to the guy. Otherwise, my tip would be lower. Like I had to – I couldn't be too charming because, you know, I, I couldn't crank up the accent. I couldn't do, you know, my, my witticisms or whatever. I couldn't outshine the guy. I had to defer to him and raise his sexual market value with regards to his date because if, if I did raise his sexual market value – then he would uh, tip more because he wants to show off. And, you know, maybe there's a bit of gratitude that I'm actually not backstabbing him for a woman, as most men <laughs> tend to do. Ah, an attractive lady is setting me against another man. 
on which of his testicles should I hack first? Um, so, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, although, you know, you also know the guys who, um, if they're covering up what they're writing, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a good tip. You know, if the girl can't see what he's writing, if he's not like, Hey, look at this, I'm giving this guy a whole wheel of my cheddar, cheddar cash. Uh, if he's covering it up, like if he's kind of hunched over and you just know, uh, it's really, really bad. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, again, go on with all these way to restore. I just, I did it for years and it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of fun and a lot of fights and, you know, great exercise and, um, you know, you, you get to think on your feet and, uh, you get to handle stress. You know, it's like one place I worked, there was like a, they had a timer on the table and you had to get the drinks and the food out within five minutes. And it was basically like, have you, have you seen those pitching machines? Like in baseball, they'll just hurl balls at you. Right. And you just got to hit them, right? Totally. Uh, this is basically what the kitchen was. It was like a pizza cannon, you know, like you got to catch this bit and you just you go and you frisbee it out to the guy. And you, you had to take the order, ring the order in, get the drinks, get the food within five minutes or it was free. And if it's free, not only does the restaurant lose out, but you don't get a tip. Nobody tips on free, right? I'll give you 15% or nothing. Yeah, I never heard that joke before. Thanks. I really <laughs> enjoy rubbing my face and the fact that it was five minutes. And, you know, you get these people, they're completely insane for free, you know? And I'm not going to talk about the gender female, but uh, they're just, you know, it, it, so they would be like 10, 9, 8, 7, like they, because they had the counter right there and they, they were counting down like to you and the restaurant getting screwed so that they could get. Uh, a little bit of money. Stressful. And yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It also taught me something, waitering taught me something about being unionized as well because I was only unionized at one place where I wasn't unified, un where I wasn't unionized, I got free meals, I got a free uniform uh, and a bunch of other goodies, right? Where it was unionized, I had to pay for my uniform and I had to pay for my meal and I got no other benefits. Wow, right. So that just taught me that I don't think that unions are getting me a better deal than the free market. Like the non-unionized place was way better than the unionized place. Um, and uh, it also, you know, I mean, there, there are the bus boys as well. They don't get tips directly, but everyone coughs in. And that was an honor system, right? Nobody sat there and counted your money and took, because you would take 10% of your tips and, and throw it into the, um, the jar for the bus boys, right? And right. the bus boys are essential, but they're not essential to any. You don't get your own bus boy, right? You, they're not essential to any particular waiter. They're, they're just the guys who just go out and scoop up stuff and you know bring it all back to the kitchen and all that, so that it's a faster turnaround. And um, that was a complete honor system, and it worked perfectly. I, I think the entire time that I was a waiter, there was only one person who was ever accused of not putting the full amount in, and that's you know hundreds of, anyway. So. Um, I guess, yeah, me and Karen Strom with our restaurant stories <laughs> or whatever, but, um, uh, it is another example where the tipping is the honor system and the, the bus boys is the honor system and they all worked just fine. And, uh, so the idea we can't run a society without governments pointing guns and nobody's going to get paid and everyone's going to be a free rider. It's like, have you eaten at a damn restaurant? Like, do you, do, do you live in any empirical reality whatsoever? Yeah, fantastic case study. I mean, in in the context of UPB, I mean, it, it's still aesthetically preferable. I, I presume. Oh yeah, yeah, because it's not the initiation of force to not okay. do it, right? Yeah, but and you can still legitimately ostracize people for not doing it, though, right? 
I yeah, that's a that's a I I I've never heard of a way of a restaurant banning a bad tipper or a non tipper. But like I've heard of my you know girl dates banning me from. I don't know if that falls within the context of being ostracized. Oh wait, you mean like if you if you don't tip the waiter, they they won't go to bed with you? Is that what you mean? <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, it's more like the 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 community at large. Which community? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the um, girls won't, uh, like, women, you know, you think about, like, what women uh, promote is maintained and what they reject, you know, doesn't doesn't occur. And women universally kind of don't go for guys that don't tip. They ostracize men that don't tip. Right, right. And that's interesting. Why do you think that is? Because theoretically— Theoretically, if the man doesn't tip, he has more money to spend on the woman. So why would she ostracize him for not tipping? Are you thinking, or did we lose our connection? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was sorry. No, a less expendable. So he would have more expendable income, but I mean, in the way they use you know, expensive cars to show that they've got money to burn, it could be like, you know, you, you have less extra resources would be my first thought. What do you think about that? I think that's, yeah, I think that's good. Now, the difference is, though, that if the woman is in the sports car, then she's basically, she's publicly displaying the value of the golden vagina, right? Right. Right. My sports car is Maserati worthy. My, my Sorry, my, my eggs are Maserati worthy, right? So, uh, but this is not a public display, right? I mean, it's relatively private at least when i was you know guy wasn't standing over so it's interesting why why would a woman want a man to tip because that's one less dessert or drink than uh than that he could buy her some uh social concern some like altruistic like it's almost like pathological altruism almost no 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 when it well, <laughs> i'm sorry i i can't go with it i don't think it's ever that nice okay well what's your theory i don't know I, i'm just i'm just thinking here i think i think it's an investment that she expects to pay off so or to pay out over time so if the man tips she knows that partly he's tipping because of her high sexual market value. So it's an indication that he's manipulable for money. Oh. Okay. That, that resonates. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, why else? It's not a public display like a Maserati, right? Like the hot chick in the Maserati. She's like, yeah, I'm all that, right? Like, and I'm going to end up in a Taylor Swift commercial or a video. Well, commercial. Uh, so, yeah. Um, no, it's like it's like you say when they you know start swooning and buying all these ridiculous stuff and like the teddy bears and you know being all soft you know it shows that they've really you know got their hooks into them. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, the male sex drive is by some estimates three times that of the female sex drive, and uh, so of course that that gives women incredible negotiating strength in in a relationship. And uh, because they can hold off and not feel uncomfortable. There's no blue ovaries, right? Blue balls, but no blue ovaries. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I think that the woman wants to see how much does he want to impress me. 
uh, which means right. how much do I have my ovaries in his wallet rooting around and, you know, hosing things up, right? Right. That's interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I'm surprised I didn't think about it. Yeah, it's totally intuitive now you say it. Of course. Because knowing the degree to which the man has gone, has been dicknapped, is really, really important. Dicknapped. And yes, I, I'm, I'm going to keep using that word till it catches on because it's really just so, so helpful. So, um, yeah, I would say that uh, probably has, has something to do with it. It also tends to be a pretty white phenomenon. You know, now that we've insulted women, let's, <laughs> let's you know, continue the usual. <laughs> right? It's a pretty white phenomenon. So there's a survey, 100 restaurant servers across America. He said the 34% thought that blacks were very bad tippers. Uh, an additional 36% thought the black patrons were below average tippers, right? And what percentage thought that white customers were average or above average tippers, do you think? Uh, 80 or 75? Higher! Oh, it's wow. 98% of waiters surveyed believed that white customers were average or above average tippers. I mean, that's me. I mean, I pay the most taxes and probably tip more than anybody. I, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, for you, for, for me, bad service is a zero tip. I mean, I'm not right? So you're, you're nice at 10%. Um, but I'll go above and beyond for great service. Uh, like I'm, I'm a kind of guy, I'll go fill out a customer card saying this guy was fantastic. I'll go talk to people, um, who are in charge saying I really had a great experience with this person to really, you know, keep onto them, hang on to them. They're great. Um, so I will, um, oh, sorry, a thousand servers. Um, not, not, uh, a thousand restaurant servers from across the nation, so it's a pretty wide. So, so uh, you know, if it's above and beyond service for me, I will really try and make not just the person but the manager aware of how great this person was. Uh, I'll I'll go online and fill out surveys for <laughs> for great, like and mention the person by name and and all that because I really really want to. But if it's bad service, I mean, you'll get nothing, not a not a thin dime out of me. And by bad service, I don't, I don't mean slow food because I know it's, that's not the waiter's fault. Right. But Sorry, go ahead. But you'll do a zero tip? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I just don't have the, 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 commit, the strength, yeah, for that. Yeah, but no, no, no. It's, 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 you know what it is? It's important information for the restaurant to have. It is important information for the restaurant to have. Because if it's a bad waiter, the restaurant should know. And if the waiter is complaining about low tips, that's important information. for. The, I'm not going to go and say, I think you should fire that waiter, but I'm going to do zero tip, right? Maybe the waiter's in the wrong profession. Maybe they should be in some other profession where they, you know, don't, maybe are not quite as, as customer focused or whatever. Right. But if the waiter, and, and by that, I mean, it's not that busy and my food comes cold. See, if your food comes late and hot, that's the kitchen's fault. Right. But if the food comes late and cold, that's the waiter's fault. Hmm. If it's not that busy, right? Right. So if, if the food comes late and cold, uh, I mean, I'll send it back because I'm not paying for bad food. I hate wasting food. Don't get me wrong. Racing food for me is like pulling out my own toenails with a cat's ass. Like it's just really, really unpleasant. And so, but I'll do it just because I'm not paying for like, something that's clammy and especially if it's pasta with a sauce, ugh, like warm, like like cold Alfredo sauce, I mean, man, alive, that's just horrible. So, um, 
and I'm yeah, I'm I'm not going to leave a penny. Like to me, that's really passive aggressive. Um, but I, I'll do a zero, and I'm not going to say why because if they don't know why, then they shouldn't be a waiter, right? I mean, your food will, and and also like if it's not that busy and they don't come by and ask you how your food is, they don't come and refill your water because you know I'm. I, I generally will try not to buy anything. Like, I try not to buy drinks at a restaurant. Water's fine, and it's like so. And, and if they don't, you know, if they don't ask you for you know, if you want dessert, and if there's anything, like if they're not just part of your general, if they're just like resentfully bringing you your cold food, then no, I'm not going to pay a penny because that's that's bad, and and people need that feedback. You know, imagine if there was some guy at karaoke um, who wasn't that great, and everyone encouraged him to be a singer. That's not very helpful. I mean, that's going to have him waste a lot of time, energy, and money and all that. You know? Or imagine if Michelle Fields had a pretty innocuous interaction with one of Trump's people and then a whole bunch of really annoying people uh, convinced her to file charges and wasted a huge amount of police time. And then imagine that she didn't even tell the police or told the police she hadn't touched Donald Trump when, according to the, the prosecutor, there's clear video evidence that she did. Like, let's say all that happened. What a huge time, waste of time, energy, and resources or whatever. So, um yeah, I, I, you know, give, give people the facts. You know, if they're great, yeah, give them 25%. Uh, and if they're not great, if they're average, yeah, give them 15 But if they're really bad, and that's rare. I mean, it's rare. But if they're really bad, you've got to give them the facts. You've got to give them the facts. There's the consistent principle. I, I feel you. Yeah. All right, man. I got to move on to the next caller. Was this helpful? Oh, really helpful. Thanks so much. All right. Absolutely. So if you're a waiter out there and I'm getting you some more tips, freedomainradio.com slash donate. And uh, thanks. Uh, it's a great call. Oh, thank you. Bye. All right. Welcome back to the show, Erica. Hi. Thank you. Now, so you just put your son down. Now I'm tired. No, I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> All right. So you were talking about being a single mom because you had been with a man, dot, dot, dot. And then you were talking about red flags. So um, what were some of the red flags about the guy? Some of the red flags. So um, I guess the first one would have been that he mostly talked about himself and didn't really start to get to know me um, until much later into the relationship. Um, also, a lot of other things. So the whole, I think you No, can, no, don't be shy. <laughs> Let's let's you know what sometimes you got to show people your scar so they don't jump into the rocks, right? So right, right. what are the other things? So we yeah, like the whole the reason why it fell apart was that he was also dating somebody else at the same time. So there was a lot of you know red flags of it, the lies, but it was like oh I have to work overtime or oh I can't go here because I don't want to do that or um so we didn't really do much outside of the house for obvious reasons now because he was afraid you might run into one of his other girlfriends exactly right and how many other girlfriends did he have erica uh just one. Oh, just one just okay. one yeah so me and an, another girlfriend at the same time right okay. right anything else what was his employment status um he was employed he had a good job he was a no, 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 no details. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, sorry. Let, me just, let me try and keep personal details out of it. Okay. Oh, okay, okay, yes. So he had a, 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 let's just say he had a good government job, a secure government job. Exactly, yes. But let's just say, because we'll cut out the actual job probably, but let's just say that it's a job that, res- that, that, that you could not succeed at if you had a, a, an excess of empathy and compassion, right? Correct, yep. He was part of a state machinery of punishment mm-hmm. that 
you know, doesn't always make the best and most loving fathers. Right. Yes, you're right. Okay. Uh, did he have any substance abuse problems? Uh, no. He, well, I mean, he, I, he was a gym rat, so he had used previously um, steroids, but nothing. No was alcohol. he pretty? Uh, he was, yes. Okay. Um, so you, you got the love and feeling when he was around? I did, yes. Okay, okay. And um, how old were you when you met him? I was 28. All right. And a similar age? Um, well, he told me he was 38, but he was, in fact, a little older. How much older? Um, so he's 16 year, he was 16 years older than me instead of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you met him, he said he was 38, when he was, in fact, 44. Right. And when did you find out his actual age? Um, I found out after my son was born, when we were going through the courts to work out custody and, and all that stuff. He had put his actual date of birth on those documents, so that's how I found out. Wow. Yeah. And how long were you together before... You got pregnant? Um, we were together about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And were you married when you got pregnant? Uh, no, we were not. I was not married. So why did you get pregnant? Uh, we were not careful. Um, no, no, come on. <laughs> oh, please, let's not have the same conversation every time. I know, I know. I know in. This is it. not lightning from the clear blue sky. There's very specific stuff you have to do to get pregnant, <laughs> and it's pretty easy to not get pregnant. Correct. Uh, so why did you get pregnant? Well, yeah, so he, I was not on birth control. Um, he actually was the one who, he really wanted children, and that was kind of attracted to me, attractive to me, so I... I mean, I didn't want them then with him, but we were not as careful as we should have been. I, okay, yeah. uh, do, you're just going to make me ask the question again, and I'm going to keep <laughs> asking it until you give me the answer. Why did you have a child? Why did you get pregnant? Why did I get pregnant? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I... You know, it's a, it's, it's a big choice, right? It is. I mean, it's it, a this, huge if choice. You, if you don't even know why you have a baby, I don't know if you're competent to raise one. I mean, you've got to have some idea why you decided to get pregnant. <laughs> okay. Right? Or, or do the steps where it can happen, right? Where it can happen. Yeah, I mean, I at the point in my where I was in my life, I mean, it was in my late 20s. I hadn't met anybody, um, and my relationships were not... Like, I just kept having failed relationship after failed re relationship, and I didn't have the best um, loving family growing up. So I feel like I was always just, I just was craving love and to love something. And that's, I think that played a big role in my choice to have the baby was that I saw it as like, I can love and be loved and, you know, do the best that I can in raising this child. So for you. Right. But, well, for me and to give to fill to, to fulfill your needs, to, to fill right. the hole in your heart from your family and your relationships that, right. that weren't great, right? Right. 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 So, so it didn't just happen. You wanted 
to fulfill yourself emotionally by having a child who would love you, right? Right. And a child can't leave you, right? Correct. Right. You had all these failed relationships, and mm-hmm. then you had a failed relationship with your baby daddy, and they've left, but the child can't leave, right? Right. Yeah. Child's trapped with you, just as my daughter is trapped with me. It's not a negative towards you. That's just, it's the ABC. It's that accidental biological cage that children are born into. Right. Yeah. So why did your relationships fail before, Erica? Um, I think it was, I mean, I, ever since I had my son, I've gone through, you know, a whole self-knowledge journey. So I'm still, I'm still learning, but I, I was raised by a very, I guess, narcissistic mother who, um, and, and there was a lot of residual issues from being raised by her that kind of carried into my relationships. And I just, I didn't know it at the time, um, to really see it while I was in the relationship. So because, you know, people who have that tendency they use other people to food for their own emotional needs right right exactly you know like like having a baby to feel loved right right yep you're okay. right all right not calling you a narcissist just so you know <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that that tendency which you inherited to some degree we all do right from our right. parents with personalities are contagious and pretty much parental personalities are invasive invasively contagious mm-hmm. um but that would be a template that you had and, and what, what yeah. was it about your mom that you viewed as narcissistic? Uh, everything was about herself, and it was all about how, not about us, it was how other people viewed her, right? So, um, and just never really caring about our needs, just caring about how it made her feel or how it made her look to the public. So she always has... Right. Right, yeah. So you were trophy kids, right? You had to right. make mommy look good. Exactly. Right. Clean up, people are coming. Right, I know. <laughs> yes. Um, and your dad? Uh, my dad, so my mom and dad separated when I was, I was only about four or so, and he was Air Force, so he um, never really lived in the same city as we did, and he lived quite far away, so we only saw him, basically, we flew down for uh, summer and Christmas time, and that's pretty much it. So twice a year since I was about six years old that I saw him. Why did your mom not live with your dad? I'm not sure I understand that. Uh, so they, yeah, they divorced. Oh. Yeah, sorry. They, they How old were you when they divorced? Um, about four. You were four? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And uh, why did they divorce? Um... My father was not happy, and and he started to see the narcissistic side of her, and he, I mean, he cheated on her. Yeah, is, yeah. I was gonna. I was waiting to get to the cheating because you yeah. put up with the guy who cheated on you, right? Which right. means that this is the template you come from, right? Correct. Yeah. So he right. he was cheating, and that's that was the final, the end. So he was cheating on your mom with you at a couple of years old, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. And were they living together at the time? They were, yes. Do you know how long he was cheating for? Uh, no, I don't know. Do you know if he cheated with multiple partners? Um, yes, he, he did. Right. And was he good looking? Yes. 
And he was fit too, right? Because he's in the Air Force. He was, yes. He was Yeah. Fit. So he's an exercising, good-looking guy who cheats. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I never put that together, but yes. Really? N- yeah. No, I didn't. All right. All right. Um. Alcoholic or drug user? Tell me about that. My father? Well, you said you lived oh. with an alcoholic. I'm just looking at your adverse childhood experience score. Oh, okay. You lived alcoholic or drug user? Yeah, so my, my brother, he fell into um, drugs and alcohol when he was a teenager. Fell into? Well. This is like you just getting pregnant. <laughs> Right. Yeah. No. Self ownership is not just a concept that justifies property rights. It's a sort of foundational principle. Right. So, what did he choose to do? What did he do? Um, he it doesn't mean I don't have sympathy, but you know. Right. No, he was he was a heavy heavy drinker. He um, ended up going to AA to to get clean. Um, he also did. I mean, I don't know exactly what his drug. Of choice was, but he was on drugs as well, and um, I think it was the result of the our mother and the role model that we had growing up. Again, that's dominoes, right? Right. Yeah. See, see, here's and the reason so I, I I don't mean to nag you on this, right? Right. I, I know I am, and I'm going to continue to do so. And it was the same with the last single mom who called in. Not that it's a blend, right? But. Mm-hmm. But the reason being that Erica, what I admire most about you calling in is that you're trying to break the cycle. Right. Right? I mean, even if we say that that there probably was some pretty selfish reasons to have your son, mm-hmm. you're saying, how can it be different? Right? So let's say he's there because of a pattern of history that you inherited from your mom. At least you're saying, how can I change course? Exactly. Right? Which means that you're you're not letting things happen to you. You're trying to have yourself make something happen. Right. And that's... And that, but that means, sorry, but that means that you have to change your language, Erica, about everything. Okay. Yeah. Your past, your brother, your mother, your father, your, your boyfriend, your everything, everything. Like if you're taking choice, which I incredibly admire, if you're taking choice, self-ownership and responsibility deep into your heart and using it to guide yourself to better choices – and you're doing it, like not just talking about it, you know, next week I'm going to exercise himself <laughs> until I'm just then I'm just an echo of history. But next week, trust me, I'm going to get on those stilts of self-knowledge. You're actually doing it. That means it can be done. You're choosing to do it. That means it can be done. That means everyone else could have done it. Right. You have to change your language about everything and everyone. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're going to be like a candle in a hurricane. Whoosh, gone. You, you have to reorient yourself. Because it's not just, oh, I'm going to start taking ownership for myself. Great, fantastic. I hugely applaud that. That's a break in the chain. That's a break in the cycle. You are fixing a cycle of dysfunction that's gone back about 4 billion years. You know, your ancestors were probably irresponsible protozoa, right? And, and mine right. too. Like, so, you know, you could take the self-ownership. But that means you have to change the way you think about people and their choices, nothing happens to anyone. That's where you start. Like, are, are there exceptions that you can imagine? Absolutely. Have I heard of one in this conversation? No. You start with nothing happens to anyone. Everyone is responsible for everything. Start there. 
because that's the opposite. Like obviously it's somewhere in the middle, right? Over time, but you have to start with the opposite. You don't start with the middle if you want to end up in the middle, if that makes sense, right? Right. So you have to give self the self-ownership that you're taking on in your mind, you have to apply to yourself in the past, to your boyfriend, to your mom, your dad, your brother, your ex-boyfriends, you in the past, everything. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does, yes. Okay. That's why I'm going to keep nagging <laughs> <laughs> about it because it's the only way to hang on to it. All right. Because, look, people who – you're young enough – to have you know women like it before you say enough, right? But you're yeah, thank young you for enough. adding that. Yeah, no, you're you're young enough that you can fix things to a large degree, right? It, it's right. you know there are people in your life, and you don't have to tell me who they are. I just know because you're a human being. But there are people in your life, Erica, for whom it is much too late to save things, to to fix things, to turn things around, right? Right, right. And those people spent every single waking moment of every single day imagining and pretending that things just happened to them. Mm-hmm. You know, whoa, why did you divorce dad? Well, he cheated on me. Right. It just, his cheating happened to me and that happened to end the marriage. It just, it all, it's just, he, he, he did it. Right? Did you have any role? No. He just, you know, I was a good wife and I was kicking, he just, he just, you know, He's, he bad me good. He bad me good. He bad me good. Right. And and then people create this religion of perfection and project all of the negatives onto others. That that is the fundamental matrix that most people in the world live in. It's just this mad mm-hmm. magic of individual perfection. And for them, it's too late to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Because you're doing it when your son is two, and you, you know, obviously, you started before. This is the beginning. Of this call, right, is, is the manifestation of another process, right? You're pursuing self knowledge, and and as you say, a journey of self self knowledge, right? Right. So you're doing it at your age mm-hmm. when your son is two. Fantastic. Good right. for you. Thank you. But there are many, many people in your life for whom it is far too late, and they will strongly resist, though usually not overtly but covertly, they will strongly resist you taking the helm of your own life when they've been dandelion fluff anyway, the wind blows, soulless r- robots of circumstance their whole life. They'll hate it when you grab the, the, re- the, the reins of your own life because they've just been dragged by a bunch of impulsive horses their whole lives. And that's why you have to go to the opposite extreme and assume, assume everyone is responsible for everything. Nothing happens to anyone. Because you're going to get a lot of undertow, I'm imagining, from the people in your life for whom it is too late to change. Right. That's just something to be aware of. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm just keep keep your <laughs> keep your wits about you with regards to that. Okay. Yeah. No. Why I, did, I think you're right. Sorry. Go ahead. I I I think you're you're very right. All right. So what happened with the dad? How did it uh, end, or why did it end? Why did, so I well, I found out that he was seeing this other woman uh, when I was I was three months pregnant at the time, um, and that that was the end. After that, when you look back from three months prior, mm-hmm. do you 
see signs of infidelity before? I do, yes, I do. I definitely what do. Were they? Um, well, working a lot of overtime was one clue. Um, hiding his phone or not really leaving his phone out in the open. Um, and when confronted, it was, oh, it was, I want my privacy. I like my privacy. So there, there were signs, definitely signs. Um, but he's, he's a pretty good liar. I have to say he's, I don't know if it's culture as well. He was born in the Dominican, um, moved here when he was 20. He, he worked at a hotel. So that was also a clue. So he worked at a hotel in the Dominican and married a tourist to come to Canada. Um, wait, so you met him while you were a tourist in the Dominican? No, no, no. I, I met him in Canada, but he, he had married somebody previously, was divorced from her, but he came to Canada that way. Oh, so his first wife mm-hmm. was a tourist. And do you know why they split up? Um, I only have his version. I don't know exactly why, um, but he said that um, they just grew apart and... Don't you wish you could get, like, the resume? I absolutely... Not written by him, but written... Like, I just... I, it would be just great if there was some cosmic <laughs> law that said you get 10 minutes phone call with every prior lover. <laughs> I think, yes, I would love that because it would make things a lot easier. <laughs> right. So he's uh, black? Yes. Okay. All right. And... um how long had he been divorced when you guys got together? Um, about uh, 10 years. Okay. And was he was, how long had he, been, had he been single, assuming that he was, when you guys got together? Um, he said he was single for a couple of years. Ah. Mm-hmm. And do you believe him? No, I don't. No, I, I found out after the fact that the woman that he was also seeing alongside with me, she had been a girl, an on and off girlfriend for many years. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, why, why do you think that you would marry so far outside your culture? Oh, sorry, marry. Why, why would you get involved and, and have a child with someone so far outside your own culture? And again, I'm not specifically talking race. I mean, I mean, right. but, um, that's 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 a, I mean, relationships are tough enough, right? They are, yeah. And if you have totally different backgrounds, totally different cultures, perhaps different religions, like it's it's just it's 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 adding weight to an already precarious inverted pyramid, so to speak. True. I think what really attracted me to that culture was their value of family. So you're with somebody, yep. and it feels like you're part of their family, right? Which I never really had much of a family growing up. So it was kind of, that's, that's what was really attractive to me was the family. Uh, having a little trouble understanding this and I'm, <laughs> I'm just, you know, coming from it. Right. We just met, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm happy to be corrected all over the place, right? Okay. Um, 
single motherhood in the Dominican Republic, as far <laughs> as I understand it, is really, really high. Right. It is. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the culture is, it's a father absent culture, right? Okay. It, well, isn't it? I think you so. know more about. I assume you know more about the Dominican culture than I do. Um, as for those statistics, I'm I'm not sure, but I these things might be worth looking in. If you're going to go cross cultural, <laughs> you might want to find out more about the culture you're marrying into. Okay. Um, I mean, black people plus a welfare state does not add up to committed fathers in general. We know that, right? Right. And I assume there's a welfare state in the Dominican Republic and there's a black population, which means that, again, Mike, if you can check it out, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's uh, somewhat central, uh, somewhat single mother centric, right? Um, so 1.5 million women in the Dominican Republic are single moms, mm, 35% of the home, so 90% are women, so... It's not as bad as it is uh, in America, which is higher. I think it's uh, almost twice or about twice. But it's, it's high, right? Certainly relative to uh, white culture, uh, it's, it's high in terms of single motherhood, right? Right. And so if you're going to get married into a culture where there's a strong prevalence of single motherhood, at least relative to your own culture, mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I get the whole family orientation thing. Do you mean like his in-laws? Because um, well, his... he, he wasn't committed to a family, right? I mean, he's, he's sleeping or he's screwing other girls while you're pregnant. That's not, like when you say, well, it's the strong family values, it's like, well, right. I, you know, I don't know what that means exactly, but I sure yeah. as hell know what it doesn't mean and what it doesn't mean <laughs> is sleeping around on your pregnant wife right. or girlfriend. No, it, it also doesn't mean knocking her up before you get her married. Right. No, you're So help me understand the family <laughs> values that you're talking about. I guess I mean, so he's got a lot of brothers and sisters, and it, I mean, but now that you pointed out, so yeah, his he was not raised by his um, mother. His mother left. Um, he was raised by his grandparents, and then both his mother and father his had... Mother? Pardon? Where was his father? His father re found or met another woman and had another family, so he kind of discarded the first family. What? Hang on. <laughs> oh, my God. Please, please tell me you're not taking me in some inverse twilight zone of what family <laughs> values actually are, right? No. And, like, I know we're laughing about it, but this is pretty grim stuff, right? It is. No, absolutely. Yes. Okay, so his father created another family. Right. Obviously men sleeping around on his wife, his pregnant wife. I don't even know if they were they married. Uh I'm not sure. Okay. Excellent. Um so this is a complete pattern, right? So when you talk about these strong family values, I don't know what you're talking about. Because if his father created a separate family and then bailed and then he's screwing around with another woman and then the relationship <laughs> ends, where the hell are these family values you're talking about? Well, maybe I don't mean values, but uh, like I said, he, so he's got a lot of brothers and sisters um, as a result, and uh, they just, it was nice to feel part of the family. Okay, so you feel that the family cared about you? I did, yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so 
if the family cared about you, do you think any of them knew that your boyfriend was stepping out? Um, that I'm not sure. They said they did not, but... Okay, and what did they do when they found out? Um... Did they disown him? Did they kick his ass to the curb? Did they say they're never going to talk to him again? Did they... You, you've hurt the mother of your child irrevocably? This is unbelievable, horrible, hum, humiliating, brutal stuff? Did uh, they force him to go to therapy? Did they force him to do the right thing? Did they force him to, to be a decent human being and an even remotely palatable partner did what did they do when they found out that he'd done this horrible thing if they care about you so much and your your son right um what did they do i mean i have his version of this which i don't know how much i can trust but he there were some people who were very very upset by what he did um and they did speak to him he did and has been trying every once in a while to fix things, but it's just between me and him, but it's, there's, uh, you know, it's, everything is so broken, so I couldn't go back there, but they, there have been a few people to, who have Erica, Yes. How pretty was he? I don't like, <laughs> uh, tell me, is this like Ty Diggs? Like, <laughs> no. like, what are we talking here? <laughs> no, he wasn't, I mean, he, all right, so he was physically he was very fit from going to the gym, but face wise, if he wasn't as fit, he wouldn't be as good looking. Because I you're guess. pretty. Thank you. Right? I mean, I've got a picture here. <laughs> Thank you. A very very nice looking young lady. Thanks. So, uh, <laughs> uh, help help me to understand. <laughs> I mean, the culture is not family-friendly. You, right. you understand, looking back, mm -hmm. that you were choosing this outcome. I think so, yeah. This, this was inevitable. Mm -hmm. You being a single mom, right. him being an uninvolved dad, you wanting to be part of this great family community. Mm -hmm. How's that working out now? Not so good. Are they basically abandoned you? Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. They got the upgrade and off they move, right? Right. So, so it didn't work out. No. And, and in fact, it's, it has reproduced everything that happened when you were young. Yeah. You are living everything that happened when you were young again. Exactly. Which is... Right. Unfaithful dad. Distant dad. Family fragmentation. Family breakup. End of the relationship of the couple who made the child, betrayal, infidelity, and you didn't even get the family that you wanted. Exactly, yep. You got love-bombed by this family. Mm-hmm, I did. There we go. Okay, <laughs> I thought those numbers were a little low. Mike, would you like to fill us in? Because you were like, 35%. I'm like, no way. <laughs> Okay, so births outside of marriage, it's 63% in the Dominican Republic. For perspective, Mexico is 55%, so it's worse than Mexico. In the U.S., it's 41%, so not so much with the family values in Dominican Republic. <laughs> wow. Um, let me just check here. I want to check something here. Um, now, keep in mind, births outside of... Uh, Marriage, 
doesn't include cohabitating parents and such, which is why the other number is different. It was 35% of the homes are single parent homes. Yeah, but marriages are more stable. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm just pointing it out because we had the previous data. So, Right. Right. Yeah. So you could have... Uh, it's that's that's more than twice the rate of whites, mm -hmm. right? Right. And so, by going to the Dominican Republic, you went to a culture that was had a very high likelihood of producing the result that you're now living with, mm -hmm. and that we'll get into the finances. I assume a lot of other people have to pay for. And if you had stayed closer to your own culture, then. So not only did you go to a culture that is very bad for commitment and very bad for marriage and stability, but you also went, went to a guy who's a divorced guy who, whose dad screwed around on his, on his it's a whole parallel. Fa like you, you, you couldn't have designed it in a tragic way if you'd been like a, if you'd literally been the architect of your own future and you'd wanted this, you couldn't have found a better way of producing it, if that makes sense. If that makes sense, yes. What did your uh, friends and, and family say about you dating this guy from this not family-stable or family-friendly culture? Um, well, he, he met my family. They loved him. Um, I mean, he's very charismatic, so kind of captured everybody's approval. Um, my friends also, they, they liked him as well. Um, yeah. I so your friends and your family are terrible judges of character. Right? Apparently. Yeah. And so am I. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, this, there was a lot of evidence here, right? This was, there this was, was not brain surgery. This wasn't like he literally was a brain surgeon, but then turned out to have this, like, so they're right. really terrible. They are, yeah. And just so we get some perspective here, like, if you want a stable family, look at the stats of the cultures that people are coming from. Mm -hmm. This is not, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, because you were never told this, right? And to be no. fair, I was never told this either, right? And I'm sorry that, but, you know, let's just have a look. Uh, just some very, very quick numbers here, right? Non-marital birth, births outside of wedlock, 74% in Colombia, 70% in Paraguay. Hey, yay, Catholicism. 69% in Peru, 63% in the Dominican Republic, 58% in Argentina, 55% in Mexico. Wow. Do you know what that rate is in Japan? I do not. 1.4%. Wow. In Israel... 3.1%. In China, 5.6%. Wow. 74% versus 1.4% from Colombia to Japan. And people tell me ethnicity and culture, it's all a social construct. It's nothing. It's flu. No. If you want a stable marriage, look at the culture you're dating. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike, if you could do me a favor and just look it up, what it was uh, in America, say in 1950s, if you can check that out, right prior to the welfare state decaying, 
all of this crap, right? But if and, and, and this is look, I mean this is for you in the future, right? I mean mm-hmm. you're gonna have another relationship, right? I mean, I'm so, hope so. so this, I don't know. Yeah, so so this is this is the smart stuff that you need to t- start thinking about, right? Right. Yeah. So you need to look at the IQ of of the, the culture, you need to look at the, the habits and practices, and all of this stuff is like three minutes on Google, right? Mm-hmm. This is not you have to go and battle scimitar weeding, wielding flying monkeys in some horrible Aztec ritual. You, couple of minutes. Oh, right. you're from the Dominican Republic. Uh, let me see what kind of culture you're coming from. Let me see the family stability. Let me see the commitment. And again, this doesn't mean that there's no exceptions. These are all trends. Right. But I guess that's but the thing you always hope that if you're, you're If you're playing with a child's life, if you're playing, like, because you, your son's going to grow up and he's going to ask you these questions, mm-hmm. right? He's going to say, why did you have, like, I have to grow up without a father and that sucks. Yeah. Right. You, it, it sucks in, in like so many different ways. And I grew up without a father, so I can speak from the heart here. And he's going to look at you, Erica, and he's going to say, you chose that I grew up without a dad. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it was three minutes on Google to find out the facts of the risks I was taking or 30 seconds of listening to this guy's history. But on the other hand, guy did a lot of crunches. Man, he had some sexy abs. Yeah. In, um, and these are, so, um, these are going to be the tough questions. And, and this is why you're calling in, right? Because... Right. You're going to need some answers to these tough questions, right? Exactly. Yes. Um, he's going to have some challenges as a biracial kid, right? He is, yes. I mean, this is another choice, which if you're going to date and, and if you well, date, who cares, right? But if you're going to marry or, or if you're going to have a kid with somebody of another race, the kid's uh, you you you're handing a burden to the kids, and you know some of the kids are going to turn out fine, obviously statistically, but it's it's a challenge because they're not sure where they belong. The higher incidence of, of mental health issues and and all that. All right, so that is something to be aware of, and I assume that you didn't know any of that prior. Um, I mean, I any about the biracial, I, I that was something I did think of, and. Um, but and the, you shouldn't have to. This should be just talked about. Right. Like everyone freaks out about whether there's BPA in baby bottles because, oh my goodness, it might be vaguely negative. And, oh my goodness, children and their posture with the tablets. And, oh my goodness, <laughs> the wearable technology has radi- – like, uh, people freak. And where is the where is the concern for this? I mean this is information people should have. Right. No, you're right. So, I mean, you know, but there's this whole, you know, anyway, we've gone through all this before. There's all this propaganda about all this stuff. Well, you know, facts are are basically gone, right, from this stuff. Um, prior to the welfare state, um, 6% among whites. 6%, wow. 6%. Wow. And that's tripled to 18%. 
children living with mother only, 2010. Hmm. So, you know, obviously if a fine young Japanese gentleman is not available, <laughs> right? I mean, you got to go through these numbers. We, we do this, you know, this inductive reasoning all the time. This is just your basic, what are the odds? What are the probabilities? Right. And that's going to be uh, a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you didn't know really at the time why you became a single mom. You know why you decided to become pregnant, which is that you wanted love. Right. And stability. And a purpose, would that be fair to say? And a purpose, yes, absolutely. Because I assume that you weren't, you know, splitting the atom or, you know, neither am I, right? But I mean, you weren't, you didn't have some job that was really fulfilling and, and gave you a future and all that, right? Right, no, I didn't. And... um So this was gonna this was gonna give your life shape and purpose and content and richness and all that, right? Right. Yes. And how's how's the plan going? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely given me given me purpose and. Yeah, it does that. <laughs> what am I doing today? I don't know, but it's gonna be starting pretty damn early. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> I'm I'm never bored anymore. Um, I mean, oh no, you are. Of course, you are. It's, he's a toddler. I mean, he, it's going to be some. You're you're never not busy. I'm never not busy. Exactly. Yeah. So you're always doing something. But yeah. I mean, I've I've been there. I was stay at home dad with a toddler. Right. Um. Uh, he. I mean, it's it's filled in a void for sure. And I mean, I love him to pieces. And I really discovered a lot about myself after he was born. So I. Yeah, I mean, I can't say, given a time machine, that I wouldn't, that I wouldn't do it over again. But it's. But you and it's always tough, of course, because if you do it over, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have the kid you have. It could be with someone else. But you would like to have a husband who was there to help, right? Absolutely. Yes, I would. I would love to have a husband. I mean, I, I really would love to have a loving relationship. Which I mean, I, I don't have time right now. I don't have time to date and. I mean, I, I listen to your your podcast on single moms and dating a single mom, and that's that's exactly. I I don't have time. I don't have, you know, anything to give to anybody else right now. But I hopefully eventually I can I can get there. Right, right, okay. Male influences in your boy's life going forward. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to step in if you want to give him the best chance. And you, please understand, I'm no expert. These are just my thoughts, right? So right. There's nothing is this nothing, nothing about what I'm saying is absolute. These are just thoughts that I have. Um, you know that, but I just wanted to remind everyone. Um, who who is going to be stepping into the missing penis silhouette? Right? <laughs> who who's going to be who's going to be stepping into take over? But the stuff you can't you can't you can't teach him how to be a man. You can't you cannot teach him how to be a man. All you have at the moment is an example of a woman who made some mistakes. And obviously some good things too, right? He's going to be happy that he's alive and so on. But you don't have the be- you're not giving him at the moment the best example of what women have to offer and you're not giving him any example of what men have to offer. Right. Um, he, d- he does see his father um, once a week for the day. Um, so his father is 
in his life a little bit. Um, but and pay the dead? Pardon? Is he paying? He is, yes. He does pay okay. support. And is it reasonable? Is it what? Yeah, it's it's reasonable. And it's steady and... Yeah. Okay. Steady, right. like no issues. Yeah, he pays for part of daycare as well. Um, daycare. Okay, well, we'll get back to daycare. Okay. Yeah. So who is going to be... Backup dad, and and is there is a granddad or is there? Is there I guess I don't know if any elders in his family are, are getting involved in his in in his dad's family is is getting involved or. Um. So no, my father lives. Um, far away. <laughs> my my brother is around, but he isn't the best male role mo- role model you can give a boy. I guess. Yeah, I get that. Um. And so really there's, there's nobody else. Um, his father, his father passed away a few years back. Um, and his, the rest of his family are kind of all over the world. So, um, nobody really close by. So he doesn't, he doesn't have anybody else. Well, that's a deficiency to be aware of, right? Right. Yeah. Because women can do wonderful things. Y'all can drink milk and make milk, which is a lot more than I can do <laughs> as far as that goes. As a, you know, I'm all taps and no plumbing. But um, but you cannot teach him how to be a man. Right. Yeah. Right. You're right. And you are not, at the moment and for the foreseeable future, you are not able to give your son the lived empirical continual evidence of an adult relationship like kids they don't learn how to love by being loved they learn how to love by watching their parents love each other okay because that's the love they're going to need to reproduce when they get older mm-hmm. right he's never going to be a toddler again like after he's done being a toddler he's going to grow up going to go through latency puberty become an adult right. the love that he's going to need as an adult is going to be the love that he's not seeing between you and a happy husband because that's what he's going to reproduce or need to reproduce. So there's this big gaping void as he's growing up, which is how do adults work on their relationships? How do they resolve disputes? How do they deal with blah, 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 right? Right. And that's, yeah, that's something I always thought. If I show him love, then he will, he will know love. But that, that no, makes a lot he of will know, He will know the love of a god. He will not know the love of a mortal. Because right. you're a god to him. Mm-hmm. So he, he, maternal love is not philosophical love or rational love. Maternal love is religious love. Okay. And I assume you don't want him to become a monk. <laughs> no, I don't. So that is very important to understand that. And, and this is not like I'm not trying to beat you up with facts or at least mm-hmm. my theories or opinions. But what I'm trying to do is point out here are the challenges. Right. No, I, I, I appreciate you, you it. You loving him is not going to teach him how to negotiate with his wife. Right. Now, you negotiating with him, and I assume I don't have to nag you about peaceful parenting, like I assume you're on board with like the no spanking and no yelling. Uh, is, absolutely. I've been, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I, I kiss the hem of your garment. That's, <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, but, so you negotiating, but, but you're negotiating with the ultimate authority of, of parenthood. And and when he gets older, negotiating 
with with girlfriends and with friends and he's not going to he's not going to see two equals negotiating so he's not going to be able to internalize how to negotiate with equals right right i mean my daughter sees my wife and i negotiating mm-hmm. uh, and so anyway so that is uh i think another challenge a lack of male role models and and also i mean as far as the father goes i mean i guess it's good that he's seeing his dad but the challenge is, does, do you want him to become his dad? Right? So, right. you know, all personalities are contagious and parental personalities are rapidly contagious. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, absolutely. That's my fear. Um, at, at the same time, you can't say anything negative about his dad. Right. Right? Because when, I don't know, you, you, it doesn't sound like you're prone to this. Erica, but this is something that single moms do a lot, and it's devastating, is that they badmouth the father. Right. And they badmouth the father to the son, mm-hmm. who's half the father. They right. think they're insulting someone who's not in the room? God. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, he's such a deadbeat. It's like, yeah, I'm half him. Yeah. And, and the, idea that, the idea that you can insult the husband of your child without insulting yourself. You know, I mean, your dad was such a loser. Like, who banged him? Yeah. Who had a child with him? Who dated? You're right. What are you doing? Again, I don't get the sense that this is your approach. It, no, it definitely, it definitely isn't. Um, but, but here's the challenge. Sorry, to, <laughs> you know, you go ahead. I'll, I'll remember my point. Go ahead. Okay, no, I just want to say, I, I mean, I've been struggling with how to address those questions when they do come, and um, I'll just tell you what my approach I've been thinking of is just to be to be completely honest as to what happened in an age-appropriate way without bad-mouthing is my... Well, that's a challenge, though, right? Mm-hmm. Because what are you going to say? Well, he was sleeping around on another woman when I was pregnant with you. Right. That's a, you know, mm-hmm. what, that's those are facts, how they're going to make him feel about him and you, because he's going to judge you more than he's going to judge his dad, because everybody knows, and it takes a lot of education to forget this, a lot of indoctrination to forget this, Mm -hmm. who is the gatekeeper of sex, Erica? Who chooses whether sex happens or not? The woman, hands down. The woman. Yeah. The woman is, hands down, depends. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) the woman is the gatekeeper of sex, right? Right, yes. And so... When when he finds out that you made a bad choice of potential father, he's obviously going to hold his father to some degree responsible, but he's going to hold you more responsible because you're the gatekeeper. Right. Right. But what if I spoke to him about my mistakes and why I did those things? Would that... That will certainly help. Okay. That will certainly help. I hope that if you play him this conversation, it will help. <laughs> That's, yeah. At some point, you know, when he's yeah. 50 or something, right? <laughs> but, but this, yeah, I mean, obviously we, we need to be frank and, and self-ownership and all that. And mm-hmm. uh, that is going to be, yeah. So, so, here, so here's the challenge, right? Which is that you don't want him to turn into his dad, but you can't badmouth his dad, but he's exposed to his dad. Right. So that I don't, I have no idea how to solve. I, I, I have no idea. I have no. I mean, those, but those are just issues that are going to be there. 
is that he's going to naturally gravitate towards his father. You can't warn him against gravitating towards his father because that's bad-mouthing the dad. But at the same time, you don't want him to gravitate to some of the less positive habits of his dad, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So Mm -hmm. that's a challenge. And I don't know what the answer to that is other than you need to be aware of it as a as a challenge. Okay. Um, as far as his culture goes, I mean, obviously he's got the Dominican side and he's got the, whatever your side is, mm-hmm. non-Dominican. <laughs> right. We're, we're French-Canadian um, on my side. Oh, French-Canadian. Yes. And Dominican. And Dominican, right. yeah. Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a melting pot. Um, <laughs> so what's going to happen with, with regards to that? Is his father going to take over his... Dominican culture and you're doing the French Canadian culture? Um his father hasn't really I mean he in, wanted to teach him Spanish and and all that but it hasn't really been happening culture wise I'm not sure I mean I'd like him to be Yeah, if you can't commit to your wife or your girlfriend for being a dad and you can't commit to your son for being a dad you probably can't commit to teaching Spanish. I'm 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 okay with that as a <laughs> dumb outset. Okay. Yeah. But sorry. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I would like him to learn about both sides, for sure. And I'll I'll do as much as I can for the Dominican side and the French Canadian side. I mean, he, yeah, as uh, like you said, as a biracial child, he needs to really understand where he comes from. So I, and that's another challenge for me is to to give him those lessons and what he where he comes from and, and all that. So I, yes. Average IQ in Canada is about a hundred. Mm-hmm. Average IQ in uh, Dominican. Yep. What do you got? Um, I'm going to go with 90. It's 82. 82. Okay. I mean, my son is so far, I mean, he's only, he's two and a half, but he's far surpassed every milestone and he's, he's pretty intelligent. So I think we might Physically, he will. Like physically, right. he will. Okay. Right. Because blacks mature physically much faster than whites and whites mature physically faster than East Asians. Okay. Right. Blacks, blacks can lift their heads sooner. They walk sooner. Uh, they they are physically the physical they roll over sooner they mm. run sooner I mean they 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 develop very fast physically and you know look I mean this may be nothing yeah maybe nothing whatsoever um and and if there is going to be uh, anything to do with ethnicity and IQ it's not going to kick in probably until he's in his early to mid teens okay uh, and this is just something way in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. To to uh, my my strong you know, keep 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 abreast of where the research is in this area. Okay. You know, with any luck, it's a hundred percent cultural. Everything's going to be perfectly fine. But if there are genetic components to it, mm-hmm. then statistically, he's likely to be between you and your husband. Now, okay. maybe your husband's super smart. Maybe the regression to the mean isn't going to kick in. Who knows, right? But right. if in his early teens he's struggling that's something to be aware of and maybe you can get an extra help or whatever it is, right? These, these are just things to be uh, aware of. 
Okay. And um, hopefully it will come to nothing, but this is just something to be uh, aware of. And, you know, I will say this to people as a whole, you know, if you're dating, look into uh, ethnicity uh, and IQ, you know, maybe it's nothing, but it's, you know, people go for genetic testing to find out if there are any potential problems and so on. And this is an area until we get more clear science. And it is really frustrating that the science is so hobnailed from progressing in this area because of political correctness and general leftist superstition about the complete egalitarian nature of wildly disparate uh, environmental regions and its effects on human evolution and so on. Anyway, Mm -hmm. it is frustrating that we can't get any more clear information, but it is something that uh, may be worth remembering if uh, he runs into any uh, challenges, which again, won't happen for uh, probably 10 years or more. But, um, if it does kick in later, that's something to to be aware of. Just keep abreast of the research, and hopefully it will all turn out to be nothing. But that's okay. another minor thing that I wanted to mention. Okay, yeah, um, that's great. And, yeah, so with regards to dating, that is a big challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, how, how are you doing without dating? I mean, it's, it's a lonely <laughs> business, right? It is. I mean, it's 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 very lonely. I mean, my evenings consist of putting him to bed and then I'm here by myself. But at the same time, I I want to date, but I, I mean, I don't feel anywhere ready to date. So, And that's a challenge, too, because you want to date. You obviously don't want to expose him to lower quality guys. Exactly. But I think it's pretty clear that a higher quality guy generally will not get involved with a single mom, right? Right, exactly. And that's my fear as well. On average, in general, there are exceptions. But, you know, in terms of setting realistic expectations, you're less of a catch than you were three years ago, right? Correct, yes. Because you come with a big time sink and you come with expenses and you come with, you know, I mean, just the whole thing I've talked about before, so. Right, yes. And I've, I've listened to those podcasts, so. Okay, so, uh, so you don't want to have low quality guys around him, but high quality guys probably aren't going to like say, well, you know, you're a nice person and you're a smart person, but you know, this is a bit too, bit too complicated for, you know, I mean, and, and I understand. I mean, that, that sort of make guys want to put their resources into their own kids. Right. I mean, unless they're completely mangined up into, you know, turbo feminists by whatever goes on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is a challenge. And, the danger of that is that if you avoid dating because you can't get a quality man that you don't want to have around your son, the great danger of that, in my humble opinion, Erica, is that you're going to turn your your son into your boyfriend. Right. 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 Because he's going to want to, as he gets older, you know, particularly around sort of seven or eight years old, he's going to go like he's going to like right now, like you, you're it, right? I mean, you're like the the mm-hmm. only mountain he wants to climb, the only sun that rises in his world. Like exactly, you're you're, you're, you're the shiznizzle, dizzle, you're whatever, right? <laughs> but but you're you're the thing, right? Right. Yeah. And that's going to last for another couple of years, and then do you know where he's going to go? Peers, peers, peers. Right. Oh right? yeah, and I, I know. We don't mate with our parents; we mate with our peers. So, around latency, kids start to focus on their peers, and mom is like, "Yeah, okay, I'm hungry," right? <laughs> you know, as opposed to let's sing songs together and and hold hands, right? Um, right. And so, when he starts to focus on his peers, 
that's you know your kids will love you but then they'll break your heart because they you know they <laughs> the nature's designing them to go horizontal not vertical right so right yeah but you know what i mean right? and i'm dreading that day yes i mean right now yes yes <laughs> yeah yeah so but then at, at the same time i'm thinking well maybe i enjoy these years with him and then once he hits those stages then that would be a good time to start to start dating but at that point i mean i'll be past my fertile years potentially and yeah pretty right? much right pretty like much. another five five years that's going to be yeah i don't want to give out your age but that's going to be basically past mm-hmm. past you with your history being able to competently evaluate a guy enough to have another kid right. that's probably going to start getting into kids with nine heads territory right <laughs> correct yes all right um well and the other thing too is that if you start dating when your daughter sorry when your son is se- is is uh seven mm-hmm. then he's still got another 10 years in the house and he's in no way can be disciplined by the boyfriend right after the right. age of five as far as i understand it if you're not around before the age of five you can never be the primary disciplinarian so and i use that word advisedly right obviously i know i'm right but right you, you know, he's because you, you're not my dad is what he's going to say. Right. And so what kind of guy is going to want to get involved in being around a kid that he, he has no particular influence over? Mm-hmm. Because that's a very difficult position to be in, right? Right. For, for a guy. Yeah. You know, because there are going to be times when the kid's going to need to listen to him because you're busy, not around or, you know, whatever they have. Or, but kid's not likely to listen to him because the early credibility and, and bond has not been set up, right? Right. So it's, it's tricky. And and this is, you know, and this is the, the tragedy of the whole situation, which is that you had a kid to have love and you're getting it to some degree, although it would be a lot easier and better if you had a husband in the picture. Right. But it kind of, you know, pay me now, pay me later kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that he also is going to keep most likely his his presence is going to keep a quality adult relationship at bay for a long time. Right. Yeah. And there will be times because you're a human being where you're going to resent him for that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be some hot guy or some guy who is just a really great person or whatever it is. Right. Right. And you're going to be like, well, I can flirt with him a bit. But the moment he finds, like, you know what I mean? The moment he finds out I have a kid, then. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like that every day when, (laughs) I mean, it's amazing when you have a kid, nobody really pays attention to you. But if I'm at work and on my lunch or something, right. (laughs) And tell me, tell me about it. I I don't do, do lunch really, but, (laughs) but tell me about, tell me about what it's like being you made up to go to work and what happened? Well, no, I mean, it's, it's different when I, I always have a hard time transitioning from mom me to work at lunch me, you know, it's, it's, people look at you differently when you don't have a kid attached to you, but I, yeah, I'm pretty closed off because I, I don't want to, it's like, okay, he's just going to find out have a kid and, you know, run the other way. So I, I try not to kind of, I guess, put myself out there. At all. Well, like like me, you probably don't toss your hair that much. 
anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a, a joke. That was really no, bad. Right. Yeah, it was really bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the, see, and this is what happens. I used to be funnier, but then I became a dad and the dad, like I used to be able to dance too. I became a dad and now it's just like I'm poking at my legs with a, I'm poking at my numb legs with a fried broomstick. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so you, you were greedy, right? And you wanted the love in the moment and you were like, to hell with them, the torpedoes, to hell with the consequences. I'm going to get this purpose. I'm going to get this love. Right. And it takes, but it takes a lot of love out of your life, particularly it, as time goes forward. Right now, right? I mean, but as time goes forward, and that's the great challenge yeah. is that you had him to some degree for your needs, Erica. And then those are the needs that you're going to have to confront and sacrifice as he moves forward. Because particularly this combo, I speak, yeah, I know that the plural of me is not data or facts, but I will tell you this, the single sons of single moms scenario mm-hmm. is particularly risky. Right. Right. Because the low sexual market value that you have with a kid means that you're going to be lonely. And when you're lonely, you're going to want as, as you were lonely and without purpose, you had a kid now lonely and without purpose. You're going to want to hold on mm-hmm. to him. Yeah, that's right. For true. your needs, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's now going to be lonelier because you have him. It means you can't as easily get into a quality adult relationship, right? Right. Yep. And your urge is going to be to keep him young, to keep him close. Mm-hmm. Because it's tough. That's, yeah, that's... And Otherwise. I absolutely have that that urge, yeah. And right now, he's two. Mm-hmm. Yay. You know, I, that, that fusion, that mm. oneness is, is I, th- I assume, pretty good, right? But uh, it's, it's going to be tough. And you're going to have to resist the urge when he wants to go out with his friends and you're lonely. Mm-hmm. You go have fun. Mommy, you'll be fine. By <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying you do it that way, but, no, but know. you know what I mean, right? You're going to have that... That is uh, mm-hmm. that is going to be tough. That is going to be a tough thing to uh, to resist. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, no. and maybe that means you can get you know female friends. I know it's not the same as uh, um as having a husband, but I'm sure you do. But there's mothers groups or whatever that that you can commiserate over the kids it, leaving orbit or whatever as they as they get older. Right. Yes. True. All right, so I, that's basically the end of my, hopefully not too adult lecture. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything that you'd like to ask? Um, no, I think we've we've pretty much covered everything. Thank you very much. Oh, and uh, just one other thing, Erica. Mm-hmm. I do blow the kiss of respect and uh, admiration Thank you. for you calling in. I mean, was it much fun to look forward to? I was very nervous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can understand. Yes, um, but I was I was very much looking forward to it. Um, I I heard your podcast on single mothers, so I wasn't sure what to what to expect with this. But um, yes, thank you. It was it was fantastic. Oh, so helpful and useful. Okay, good. Yeah, very helpful. well. I mean, yeah. you're doing what a lot of single moms don't do, right? I mm-hmm. mean, you're not leeching off the taxpayer six different ways from Sunday, right? No, and that's I mean I. 
I own my own house. I've got I've got my job. I mean, it, I would love to be a stay-at-home mom, but that the reality is that I, I can't be. Um, but no, I'm not leeching off of the yeah. state, and I'm. And that means you know you when when did how old was your son when he went into daycare? Uh, so he was he was 12 months. I'm in Canada, so we had a year of mat leave. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He went. So that's daycare. that's good. I mean, so it wasn't like three months or three weeks or something, right? So right. So you know, as, as far as good decisions you've made since your son was born, it, it's hard to think how could it, how it could have been improved, right? Right. And that's, I mean, I, mean, I you're not, your bed's not a conveyor belt of CD guys and you know, <laughs> you, you're responsible. You've got him in a quality daycare. You're, mm-hmm. you're working, you know, he's got some relationship with his dad who's paying some money. You're not on the tax, but like yeah. as far as, you know, making the best of the situation, it's pretty close to tops in my opinion. Thank you. That's yeah. I, I appreciate it. I've been, I've been trying hard and uh, since I found out I was pregnant and going forward, I, I really, I mean, I breastfed, I, I did everything that I could to, to do it right. And it's been hard since he hit the toddler years because I've got my own inner mother, you know, as you've talked in other podcasts that I struggle with sometimes and I get frustrated, but I, your podcast. No setting is, fire to the child. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. It's my morning, it's my morning ritual. Stuart Smiley has mine, has his, and I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> yeah. no but, it, is, it is tough, right? Because especially yeah. when they get older and, and they get their will and they get a moral sense and, you know, when they're babies, you know, they, they fart in your face and they're so cute, <laughs> smelly, but cute. Right. But when they get older, right. Yeah. Uh, a baby that drools on you is very different than a child who spits at you. Not that that's ever happened to me, but that's just an analogy of, of sort of saying that it becomes, and they say it's the terrible twos. And what that means is, is the terrible resurrection of the parental alters twos because now yeah. they're, you know, now that they're defiant and, and also, uh, uh, people's, uh, my memories start earlier, but a lot of people's memory starts around two or three. So they can remember being that kind of being babies, which means that, uh, in that, in this, in, in this interaction, you are your son and you are your mother, right? Exactly. So to speak, like your son is you right. and you are your mother. And that's where the stuff tends to, to, to zoom up. Exactly. I think a lot more. It did. Yes. And the transition from, I mean, oh, when it was, when he was a baby and it was answer every single need that he had, that was easy uh, for me. And then when it became to, you know, when he became a toddler, that was a lot more challenging, but you're, I've listened to a lot of your parenting podcasts and that's, I play your voice in my head. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that is, a, yeah. that is, a, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to hear. I really appreciate that. I don't even need to be on the computer to, to be speaking to people. That's lovely. <laughs> and the other thing too, like I've said this to my daughter, I said, you know, listen, you know, it's chore time, honey. Cause you know, when you were a baby, you didn't have to do anything. Right. That was our job. But our job is to prepare you for being an adulthood. Unless you want to remain in diapers your whole life, you've got to get, you know, start lifting your end of the, uh, of the beam. Right. I mean, right. so. Um, and that is, you know, babies are never lazy, but mm-hmm. kids sure can't be, right? I mean, <laughs> and so re- reminding her that, you know, I said, this is, you know, it, it is, it is going to come as a shock to you that you have to do stuff around the house. <laughs> Trust me, it comes as a shock as a shock to me every day because I feel I should be royalty and other people should be doing this for me. I have to brush my own teeth. What am I, a surf? Good heavens. What's this, what's this wipe my own armpit once a week anyway? But, um, so 
it is uh, it is tough in that transition where mm-hmm. you know it, it ain't so cute when they just won't take their stuff into the kitchen even after you ask them four times you know or ten times sometimes right so right yeah. or, or thing where it's like you need to tidy up these toys no I'll come back and play with them later it's like I fell for that the last three hundred and fifty <laughs> times you know fool me once yeah three uh, fool me three hundred and fifty one times I'm going to invade Iraq anyway so um, that's there's a big set of series of transitions mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, uh, it is very different and and you know the, the, the cuteness and and there's no negotiation with babies no. but man uh, you know so there's no boundaries with babies it's, you're just one big blob and you even more so right than than a, a dad but uh, I mean they're just like one person uh, who who there's like one people who don't sleep. <laughs> so they, the Siamese twins with one boob, with two boobs, one head and no sleep. Yeah. But um, when they get older, there's a lot of negotiation and that's when the parental stuff I think kicks up, uh, kick, kicks, uh, kicks in for a lot more people. So I, you yeah. know, your awareness of that is fantastic. So yeah. listen, I mean, you're, you know, of all the single moms around, your son is very lucky to have you and you. you should be very proud of the work that you're doing to break the cycle. Thank you so much. Okay. Will you let us know how it's going? I will, yes, absolutely. All right. Okay, well, um, I, I hope it uh, works out, and, and uh, let's move on to the next caller. All right, well, up next will be Aaron, and uh, Aaron wrote to me today. We published a video, Why I Was Wrong About Atheism, and some people had a pretty strong reaction to it. And Aaron initially... <laughs> Aaron initially had a strong reaction to it, but took a nap and uh, is feeling a little differently now, but figured it'd be fun if he could pop on and share his experience with us. So welcome to the show, Aaron. Uh, hello, hello, guys. Hello, Stefan. Can you hear me? I can. In fact, it sounds like you're deep-throating the mic. If you can back off a tiny smidge, that would be excellent. Not a problem, sir. Okay. So, so when you had your nap, did, did, you get, did you have any religious visions that changed <laughs> your perspective or basically just cooled your brain a bit? No, no. What it was is in the beginning of the video, you clearly stated that um, um, 70% of the, your statistic you gave was 70% uh, of these uh, leftists and stuff, uh, and then pretty much went on with your video. And then, Oh, hang on, hang on. That 70% of leftists is meaningless to other people. Well, and uh, it, the, the video is why I was wrong about atheism, and uh, we'll mm-hmm. put a link at the low bar, but yes. it was that... Um, uh, 70% of atheists lean yes, there you go. pretty significantly to the left and, and exactly. want big government to tell everyone what to do. And, and I was mm-hmm. just pointing out that if you're, into, if you're against irrational authority, then running from God to the state is like running from bad to worse. Yes, exactly. And um, there you go, 70% of atheists. You know, that statistic number I wasn't too familiar with. Um, the thing is, is... I don't have a community or people I know with or I don't communicate with other really atheists. I just see a lot of videos online, uh, place, and I just see arguments that uh, pretty much people post online, pretty much like uh, Richard Dawkins and like uh, places like Atheist Experience and even earlier videos uh, you might have posted uh, that just state the facts of things. Oh, um, no, that's sorry. All the Red Room stuff, that's an evil twin. Uh, I've since had him tracked down and uh, shipped off off planet. Uh, you currently see him in the background of the Martian. Yeah. Uh, but um, no, no, of course. Yeah, no, I, I, I get all of that. And all of the atheist experience, Dawkins and so on, all people I've listened to, all people whose media I've consumed, books I've read, like him a lot. And um, 
so so these are all people and and with regards to their philosophical arguments with regards to atheism and and religion and so on you know can't generally fault them and and so the, the frustration and I'm sorry because I, I won't I'll just let you get on in a sec. But the frustration for me is people say, well, you say, it could just be that the atheists are more intelligent and, and that's why they're both atheists and socialists. The common intelligence. It's like, okay, fine. I, I'm, I'm with you. So, so maybe that's the case. I'm not saying it is, but maybe it is. The test for that would be, okay, let's expose atheists to arguments for a voluntary society, for a stateless society. And if they're so intelligent and they came by their atheism through a process of rigorous rationality, then they should be very open to, and in fact, very receptive for the exact same reasons to arguments for a smaller or no government, and they're not in general, which means it's not a factor of intelligence at all, but rather prejudice. And, um, you know, when I was paying attention more to the video, seen it a second time, slept on it, and I'm like, you know, I don't associate myself with that 70% leftist, uh, you know, these 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 feely people that and like what you're saying these people that want um big government and i can only go through my anecdotal experience and what i've seen through you know growing up and my experience because i don't associate with other atheists to me these leftist people in the college screaming for big government calling for like bernie sanders and all this crazy stuff to me these seem like new like fraudulent fake atheists. I don't know what this new bandwagon is of people. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't believe it's new, but new to me, but um, it, it just doesn't seem like these are true atheists. It just seems like people that just are just, I don't know, kind of like this recent modern third wave feminism movement. It just seems like it's just somebody that just wants something to bitch about. And the religious people is a group that they just want to shut down or do whatever. Or well, just no, this dictate. is because 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 religion is a competitor to the expansion of state power mm-hmm. that, that a lot of atheists want. It's it's like a rival mafia gang, so to speak, right? I mean, although in many ways nicer because it's a mafia gang that doesn't use force, but you know, guilt, yeah. which you know I can survive, right? And so uh, it, it's not that, that the atheists, uh, these lefty atheists, and I actually think the number is far higher than 70%, mm-hmm. uh, but th- that's, we can talk about that perhaps later. But um, it's not like they, they just, well, you know, I reject irrational, unjust authority. I reject bullying. I reject, you know, like Richard Dawkins said that uh, religious instruction is child abuse. And mm-hmm. I can certainly understand that if you're talking about demons haunting the bedroom of the children and, you yes, know, whatever. That's like that hell. I mean, that, that's abusive. I'm not backing off of that for a second. However, mm-hmm. if religious indoctrination is child abuse... What about the statist indoctrination of government schools? You know, mm-hmm. let's just talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least the religious people aren't forcing the children into the schools and aren't forcing people to pay for the indoctrination. How many objective facts are people getting about the state from government schools? Well, no more objective facts that they get about atheism in churches. But mm-hmm. at least the church remains somewhat voluntary. So um, irrational abusive, unjust authority, okay, let's start talking about government, but they simply won't go there. And that tells me that they don't care about reason and evidence. They don't care about unjust, brutal authority. What they care about is eliminating a competitor to their expansion of state power, and that is the church. 
Exactly. And, um, you know, everything you said about, um, you know, big government, um, the forced redistribution of wealth from taxpayers to non-taxpayers. I mean, the only issue, the only thing I had through my subjective experience was that most of the people I know that want big government, that want free handouts. Okay. In my family, um, I grew up, I was, um, my mother had every social program she could name SSI food stamps. Um, uh, WIC, everything, literally. And then um, she even had me and my brother um, pretend to be... Oh, and let's not forget, sorry, let's not forget, Mm -hmm. government schools are a welfare program as well because richer people can afford private schools. And so it it is another form of the welfare state and and one of the biggest and and most dangerous because at least you don't get as much propaganda with uh, food stamps. And, 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 you know, and I agree, I agree with you because when I was in public school, I felt like I didn't belong with 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 everybody on the same the same narrative that the teachers especially in my history class um was being proposed i mean they were um they liked the idea of uh you know oh um you don't want illegal immigrants in your country you're a racist you don't want to hand out food stamps and give money to people that are undeserved that you know aren't well off as you you know you're a racist you're a big saying just throwing labels at me and throwing words at me to try to offend me and i'm like those words don't you're not going to hurt me with those words. So, um, well, and sorry, the other thing, too. No, no, no. Continue. You were just in the middle of a thought. I can hold mine. Go ahead. So, so the way I looked at myself is I, I you know, I, I didn't have a political party. I recently voted for Trump. I'm out of Massachusetts. Um, and the only thing I kind of disagree on with um, with with Trump is, I mean, I'm not entirely sure because I didn't li- clearly listen is just. He's um, pro-life, but um, he, um, from what I know, it, I, from the little gist I've got it, he would um, stop abortions or something like that. I, 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 I mean, I'm pretty well um, versed on everything else he talks about, and I agree with just about everything else. I believe people could be, I just believe women should have the choice to, you know, do uh, have abortions up to the legal cutoff time period i don't know what that is at least like three or four months or something i don't know what tri what tribe masters but whatever the legal age, uh limit is i agree with i wouldn't want women or you know to have their um abortion rights taken away and that's the only thing i'm not too familiar i haven't researched on what he truly feels about that but that's the only well, no i mean so he was asked a theoretical question mm-hmm. the theoretical question i think it came from chris matthews and trump is normally better but, you know, I mean, what, is he 69, 68 years old? And, yeah, he's... I mean, he's been easily four hours of sleep. And, I mean, although he's got, I think, one of those weird Clinton-esque genetic things where he can survive and flourish on, on that little sleep. But anyway, um, so he was asked, you know, how would you handle abortion if it was illegal? You know, and it's a big hypothetical. I mean, Roe v. Wade is, you know, uh, women are the majority voters. And he was just asked a hypothetical question and you know, well, there would have to be some kind of sanction. It's like, well, of course, if something is illegal, you know. No, I agree. If it's um, illegal. You know, it's like, you know, the people who wanted to abolish slavery and say, well, okay, well, if you abolish slavery, how would you punish people who were slave owners? It's like, well, there'd be a sanction because yeah. it's now not legal to have a slave. And so, uh, you know, if you want to stop people from driving those newfangled cars too fast <laughs> on the road, 
Would you would you have a speed limit? Yes. And what would the punishment be for exceeding that speed limit? Well, I don't know, maybe a fine or something, but have to be some kind of sanction. Otherwise, it's not a law. Mm-hmm. If there's no punishment, it's not a law. It's just a vague suggestion, you and, know, and like I, uh, <laughs> don't don't wear white after Labor Day. Yes. No, I agree with that totally. I just was um, I just wasn't sure because I didn't listen to that specifically part of his arguments and when he brought it up um because i usually don't listen to the one-on-ones i work a lot of hours during the day um so the um overnights i mean anyway so i was just wondering if he was against like trying to stop abortions period no 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 no, it was a he he said look sorry he he said that nothing's going to change on abortion oh okay then it's it's settled it was it was a pure hypothetical he wasn't like the day after i get into power it's going to be beheading women who are even suspected of abortion. No, no, I mean, no. he's not—he's not like some Saudi prince out no, there, right? No. I mean, it's—he's just—he was just answering a theoretical, and um, and of course, w- whether you whether you agree with him or not, you at least have to understand the logic that if people wish to make abortion illegal, illegal means there are punishments for breaking the law. You can't make something illegal and have no punishment. That the whole point of illegal is there's the government punishes, right? I mean, so yes, sir. Um, and, 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 you know, right now, um, it's like saying, well, I, I want uh, the war on drugs, but I never want to ever punish anyone who takes drugs or who buys drugs. I only want to punish the drug dealers because his follow-up response was, well, you know, we'd punish the doctors, not the women seeking the abortions. And, um, you know, he can't, he can't deal with the real issues when it comes to abortion. Uh, the real issues, of course, the, the problem with abortion is the problem of the disintegration of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, because the fact is that I would imagine that a lot of people who get abortion, a lot of women who get abortions are single moms and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So the disintegration of marriage is a huge problem. The fact that there's a welfare state is a huge problem. The fact mm-hmm. that it's subsidized by governments is a huge problem. The fact that you can't buy a baby, for God's sakes, it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. It's a huge problem. There are so many couples out there who want children, and all of these abortions are happening. Why? Because the couples can't buy the children. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. I say, well, you know, that's human trafficking. Yes, but at least they're not ending up in landfills. You know, at least these, yes. they, it's, yeah. they're not ending up as medical waste, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's dehumanizing uh, to, to buy a child. It's like, yes, oh, okay, fine. Is it more or less dehumanizing than killing a, an unborn baby? I got to think that's very much the definition of dehumanizing in that it is no longer a human being. It is a dead piece of tissue. So, um, and there's a bunch of other, like other things that would help with regards to, to abortion, uh, and all of that. But, you know, because we've got this weird twisted system, abortion is, uh, is a big problem and big, sort of very expensive. Uh, but what happened of course was that, um, women freaked out that, they may not have access to cheap and easy abortions. Yep. I mean, that's, you know, because, you know, with only 16 or 17 different methods of birth control to pick from, <laughs> apparently, you know. And, right. and again, you know, it, if a woman's choice, you know, okay, fine, fine. Let's say that there's a woman's choice. Well, mm-hmm. what about the man's choice? If the woman can choose to have or not have the child, if she can choose to have or not have the title of motherhood if she could choose to be or not to be a mother why can the man not choose to be or not to be a father why is there not a form which the man can sign which says i didn't want the pregnancy i'm terminating my parental responsibility if the woman wants to raise the child it's her choice but i'm out of the picture and i relinquish all my parental rights and responsibilities and um 
there's nothing like that in law. So if we're all into, you know, my womb, my choice, great. My balls, my choice. <laughs> right? But well, because that's inconceivable, right? Because for w- what women want is the right to have a baby and have other force force a man to pay for it if mm-hmm. he's not if she's not married or whatever. Then she wants that, right? It's like, okay, well, that's horrible. I mean, that's enslaving someone because you want to have a baby. That's literally enslaving someone's money for the next twenty or so years. Mm-hmm. So women, you know, it's it's the usual double standard that that is so ridiculously prevalent that if there's not a double standard, you just know there's no feminism around. I mean, that's just. You know why? Why do they? You know why are they so freaked out about rape, rape on campus? Well, because if they can convince young white males not to go to college campuses, then they have fewer people to compete with, and also then there's more spots for women and minorities, which the left likes, and so just drive them off, drive them off, right? Yeah. Why are they so concerned about the completely non-existent rape culture among whites, and then don't care at all? about the rape culture in the Middle East. Yep. It's because they can get money from white males in their own country by shaming and blaming and attacking and, and slandering, but they can't get money from Arabs in the Middle East, so they don't care about that. It's not the shakedown. You know, it's like, wh- why is the mafia, um, why, why is the Italian mafia not doing a shakedown at some restaurant uh, in Somalia? Well, because <laughs> it's a long way away and they can't get the money from them, so yeah. they go to the neighbor. Right? So this, anyway, I don't want to go all on that, so, but this this Trump thing about abortion, I mean, it's just one of these. Uh, no, no, I, I understand. It's just one of these things that women freak out because somebody and, and even the even the Republicans freaked out like, oh, we never wanted to sanction women. It's like, do you people not know what illegal means? Like, come on. I mean, this yeah. pandering to women. This has just become completely ridiculous. I mean, you're treating women like these uh, hysterical infants now. Yeah. Who can't yeah. Even the slightest shred of truth or, or reality. But anyway, sorry. Go on. No, 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 no. You know, um. I could talk to you forever about everything you just said, because I agree with everything you said, everything you said, I agree with. The only thing I was like kind of jumpy is I didn't pay attention to this. I guess I must be an extreme minority of an atheist because, and the thing is, is I, I, I don't want big government. I hate the redistribution of taxes. I, I don't like this, uh, like, I hate this thing going on where all my buddies want this Bernie. Oh, free college, free this, free that. Bernie's just yeah. going to charge the uh, the the 1%. And it's like the 1%, if you just in, increase the taxes on the 1%, they're just going to ship more jobs overseas, put more jo- more businesses overseas. And they got the lawyers and the know-how to, like, get by any increased tax or do whatever. I mean, like, you're just going to... Then what's going to happen is Bernie realizes you can't get it from the 1%, so it's going to go around to the working class that's going to get their taxes increased to pay for the people who just want to sit around on their behinds and not do anything all day. And I got people in my family that's been... You know what I mean? Um, That my mom helped my aunt and all these other people in my family. They all literally collect all benefits and programs. And I saw that growing up and I didn't want that for myself. I work. Wait, sorry. Was it mostly the women who were connecting, collecting the benefits? Yes. All women, all women. Never, never heard of that before. (laughs) Never heard that women like free stuff from good looking guys called politicians. Never heard that before. And you know, because of the thing that kind of angered me that I realized older is Women do not teach their boys the behavior of how females like to manipulate men for resources and money. My mother's going to protect me. 
Of course, they're. magicians well, don't teach their audience their tricks. Of course, they can't be magicians. Right? And my mother were well versed in that. And well, when I was younger, and they would communicate with each other. So um, my mother would help my daughter date specific guys that own businesses and try to exploit money from them and do things. And me sitting off in La La Land, not knowing what's going on. And um, oh man, it's it's just a headache. And I just came out of a ten year long relationship of just getting my brain screwed over by being leached off of by oh my ex-girlfriend and it, it's just nuts what, what happened with the end of your i'm sorry to hear that 10 years <laughs> no no crap. i'm glad i mean the thing was is like um you know um i i initially um went out with um back when i was like 18 or so i went out with um um i'm through a friend i was introduced to a um uh Cambodian a um Asian girl. Um I don't want to throw names on or anything like that. But um oh, exactly. well, <laughs> anyway, so um met her and when I uh at the first because of uh, her parent was um you know they kind of have an in-group preference for their children to date within their own race. So for like the first year or so <laughs> it was kind of like <laughs> me right. try try that as a white person, see how far you get. Oh, right? oh you're you're white you you're white you're totally racist the world's against you and that was an issue but they I just had have with cultural her. pride in their heritage and they yeah, just but you if, know but if you're white yeah, you cannot have cultural pride you cannot have any of that you're deemed still, a race still waiting for this white privilege afterburner to kick oh, in yeah. and not just blow up my chair and and you know she became one of these feminine tumblr feminists that's always yelling at me about a white privilege and me i'm, I'm always been a person i'm sorry that, like, i don't i don't know what tumblr is was she well, living in a washing machine i don't what is what does that mean tumblr I, I, you know um it's some sort of uh you know i'm not too familiar with it it's some kind of a a page where uh, a website where people share their ideas but a lot of these politically lefties that we were talking about infamously and majority feminists go on there and spread their ideas and propaganda i've never particularly been on it so i don't have first-hand experience on it but yeah. that's where she got a lot of her rhetoric and was spewing things at me. And, you know, I work like 12, 13 hours a day at overnight. And when I get home, I have to just pretty much I had to just do whatever the hell she said so I could get some sleep in order to get back to work. You know yeah. what I mean? So it was just all the stress of like, anyways, to get back to uh, what was happening with her, you know, I. So uh, after a year of. uh sneaking around seeing her mom like um all of a sudden like caught on that you know that she was seeing a guy she saw me long story short they seen that um i wasn't a bad guy by the way i'm um puerto rican and half white but i look spanish obviously um <laughs> what a afro i, I envy your tanning capacity that's, yeah that's all i've got to say on that so um when he got to know me um the mother got to know me realized i wasn't I guess a bad guy or whatever her impressions were of whatever other people are. And I got introduced to the family. Now, when I got introduced to the family, I, she was a great girl, cooked, clean, did everything seemed like a great family person. I, by the hand, by the way, was never big with my family. I was kind of off the side doing my own thing. I've always been kind of like a loner. I was like into my room playing video games or hanging out with my buddies and, I stayed away from family drama because. Wait, with, so sorry. I'm just I'm looking at the subtitles of your movie, and by loner, I think you just mean smarter, don't you? <laughs> and I just seen what was going on, and you know, with my stepfather, um, 
my mother was always bashing him and putting him down and saying, oh, he's evil. He's that. And, you know, I seen the guy and then I only have my mom's point of view to go by because he would he wouldn't say anything. And um, my mom would leave to Dominican Republic, go to vacations and stuff. And and she even met a boyfriend down there. So he knew of all this, like her leaving for Wait. months at a time when I Wait. was a child. She had a she had a boyfriend while she was married to a stepdad. Yes, she did. And even married him down there while she was married to my stepfather here. Is that legal? Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does, doesn't yeah, matter. Doesn't yeah. Matter. So, um, okay. So she's she was married over there, married here. Stepfather here knew about the situation. He kind of like, you know, uh, withdrew. I mean, he he just he he went like a little bit like crazy, angry at a moment, pointed a shotgun at. Um, me, my brother and sister, and then had us point the gun at him and put our fingers on the, the trigger and, um, just, and, and say, squeeze, squeeze. And we all squeezed, but, um, and then he took it and stuff, took the shotgun, showed that uh, it was empty. And he's like, Oh, now I have something against one of you. I'm tired of your mother leaving all the time. Cause my mother would leave to Dominican Republic for months at a time. And at that time she was building a home down there and my brother and sister, because they liked the idea of going to a country without uh, legal age limits on anything They'd go down there. We were like, what between nine to 12 ages, maybe a little younger. They'd go down there, drink, smoke, party, do what they got to do. And I'm like, uh, you know, that money you paid for them to go down there and those plane tickets, I'll take a PlayStation instead and I'll just sit home. I don't want to deal with that. You know, so all these years they painted him as the bad guy. But then, um, um, so what happened is he, um, after that shotgun incident during that time, he wasn't paying the mortgage while my mom was out on her shenanigans for months. And long story short, when she came back about after like, it was a good eight to seven months. Um, we were getting a notice of foreclosure. And um, we had a pretty decent home, very cheap mortgage, three bedroom. I mean, it was only like a $500 a month mortgage. And at that time, my mom was a CNA. My stepfather was a truck driver and over the road driver. And um, they were making pretty damn good money compared to like the expenses they had. But because of his, the stress he was going through, he started doing drugs, not paying the mortgage, yada, yada. We lost our home. Um, this was when I was about 16. And then I left, then I then I just, I just had so much, like, I just seen what was going on. Plus when my mom was around, it was always about drama. Who did this? Who did that? She always looked for an argument. It's like with these women, they just look to start illogical, irrational arguments and not even try to like logically like solve something or like, just like put petty things to the side and just like, be like, okay, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Let's just continue on. But it had to be hitting and all this crazy stuff. And yada 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 and i was just like that's why uh when i started working as soon as 18 i tried i moved out as soon as i could and i didn't want to be on the welfare state and all this stuff that my mother was like trying to keep me on so she could keep getting a cash flow of checks and stuff and um so back to when we lost the home um i moved out with into, with my sister in a one bedroom apartment i mean she was grateful for one year from my 11th grade year, I got kicked out. We lost our house my 10th grade year, 11th grade year. For that year, I moved in with my sister and um, older sister, by the way. And um, <sighs> so what happened is I lived with her 
And um, for I, I got one of my first jobs at a local Six Flags and um, was making probably after paying like bus rides and stuff to get there, I was making probably like $30 a week. And this was only a summer job. My sister seen me coming home at $30, $40 and wanted rent money. And I'm like, hey, look, this is enough money for me to just get some snacks, but I'll give you something or whatever. And, um, my, well, in the meantime, since I was underage, my mother was still collecting all these benefits and programs, moved, came back, moved with my stepfather to a one bedroom apartment with my younger brother, my younger sister. Um, it was a studio apartment, one younger brother, younger uh, sister, um, my stepfather and her, living four people and actually my older uncle five people living in a small studio apartment in another town while she was collecting these government benefits for me like ssi and 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 whatnot but giving nothing to my sister to help her support me so she was taking her frustration out on me yelling at me getting angry at me and when luckily i made it through my 11th grade year she kicked me out of the the um of her home um, for my and the summer that I was going to my senior year, because she wanted to invite some guy that lived off the street that would promise her a hundred dollars a month rent. So, um, then I moved into that studio, um, with the five people, me being number six, and um, the, all, I, all my friends I'd known and grown up with, and the and stuff, because I moved to a different town, and um, all the people I'd grown up with. I didn't know anybody in this new town I um, moved into and I didn't care. I felt disconnected to everybody. I was angry at the situation that I was um, put in and I did what I had to do. I did, I did, I continued my um, schoolwork. And the funny thing is, is like um, when I had my transcripts transferred over to the new school I went to, they realized that, wow, um, the class at um, the class I was um, in, there was about 385 students, I believe, around there. And with me never really trying and never having any kind of parental support, I was the top 12 in grades. And granted, I never tried to do anything and just work was just came so naturally easy to me. And it was public school. They never really challenged anybody there. But um, so I, they assumed that I was going to go to college and all this stuff. But I had so much negative pent up feelings that I'm just like, whatever. I don't, I, I don't think I'm going to go because I know my family didn't have money or anything. And then, um, so I continued with that year, um, at that school, just doing what I could since it was senior year, I didn't have to do much. Um, just drifted through prom came through. My mother was all starting to feel nostalgic. Oh, the first son in the family is going to graduate. The first person in the family going to graduate high school. Nobody's done it before. All of a sudden she started feeling like she was, she con contributed to like my success or anything or, mm. she, you know what I mean? And try to be like, oh, yeah. oh, okay, let's buy a yearbook. All of a sudden, like, um, uh, willing to pay up for like, uh, little, little things, memorabilia for that senior year, because granted all these years, even in that senior year, I felt embarrassed because I was in ROTC and um, there was a field, there was a, like an outside trip, uh, well, not trip, but like an event where they had barbecue and stuff. All you had to pay was $4. I'm the only one that didn't have the $4 out of the entire class. And um, I had to pretend to be the cool guy that didn't want to pay the $4. And I just sat down in class for the half day 
with my head down on my desk because I couldn't afford the $4. They offered me to just join in anyways, but I'm like, I live on principle. I'm like, no, I didn't pay the $4. I don't want to join in on the festivities. You know, I felt my parents should have given me the, the money when I've asked. And I only asked maybe once, twice the most. I don't pressure things like my brother and sister does and nag. Either you want to do something for me, help me out, or you don't. I'm not going to make an issue or hold it against you or argue with it. No, but I mean, what, what you're doing is sensible, right? I mean, and it goes, I think, all the way back to you wanting the PlayStation rather than going to go drink and smoke at the age of 10 in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Right? You, you, you're smart. You understand the costs and benefits spread over time. You you have integrity. You have purpose. You have some drive. You ha- I mean, you're, you're smart. So that's when you say loner. If people say loner. I just think like, smarter, right? <laughs> so, not quite a rhyme, but it's not the I worst. I felt like I didn't belong because the way they thought, the way they wanted to do things, it was like, I don't know, like like living with my um girl, this girlfriend that I um live with. I took care of her. Like when I moved in with her, she completely changed 360, didn't want to do anything, didn't want to leave the house, became anti-social with her parents and didn't want to see her parents because all of a sudden she didn't have to deal with all the responsibilities she had. So it was like, OK, um, she didn't want to cook, clean, do anything. Granted, I'm working uh, night sh- shift warehouse job doing a lot of hours and I'm coming in and I'm making sure all the bills are paid. I'm extremely responsible and stuff. Very high credit score. Everything's good. I never been late in any bills and stuff. So I have every, I'm paying everything, making sure there's food, but she just sits around the house, not wanting to do anything. Then gets in this dispute about, Oh, well, you know, you need to do 50, 50 of the work. And I'm like, I'm (laughs) providing all of the, I'm paying all the bills. And I, I was even willing to bend to do 50, 50 of the work. But when I started to lift my finger to do 50, 50, she wouldn't provide that of her 50. And then all right. that, you know, between work and being overwhelmed with having to do all these chores, it's like I'd come out, of, I'd start work at 7 p.m. I'd come around home around 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning, lifting beer kegs all night for a local beer distributor. My back's hurt. I'm hurt. I'm sore. And I got to get back to work by 7 o'clock the same day in the afternoon and sleeping during the day. You never get as much rest as you do at night. It doesn't It's not right. It doesn't feel right with all the noise and everything going on. So I'd get home. All of a sudden, she didn't cook, so she's hungry. I didn't need anything, because, and I'm hungry. So now when I get home, I have to go out, look for something for her to eat. She doesn't like breakfast food, so I have to wait till noontime till places that serve lunch foods open up. Then I have to go out every day to go get her lunch foods and dinner foods and you know, all this other stuff and all these years of just her nagging me and doing and, and just me just being a fool, dealing with the nagging just so I could have a decent amount of sleep. And the only reason mainly I did it was because I didn't have a I didn't have my fa- family to go back to to live with or, you know, someone to su- help me because what my mother she was at this time, she was um um um. Well, I'd have to go back to explain this. When my mo- that boyfriend, that husband, my mother married in Dominican Republic, um, lo- a few years after of the situation when we lost our house, um, they were having their uh, little marital disputes and stuff like that um, because the men down there have this mindset of uh, whatever the woman buys is theirs. They're like possessive. You're like Even though my mother was financially supporting him and paying for the house and everything like that, he twouted around like it was his and stuff like that. And I guess they have this possessive attitude down there about like, you know, it doesn't matter. She paid for it. I'm the man, 
you know? So, right. um, what happened was, uh, she, he, she found out because she obviously, she comes back to the States for half the year or more and then goes back down there. He obviously cheated on my mother with his son who had, he had from a previous relationship before my mother with her, who was a prostitute down there. He caught HIV. All right. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. Hmm? So listen, I mean, we, we kind of hit a geyser here of, of, <laughs> of talking, right? And I fully understand why, right? Why, why do you think you're telling me all of this? I don't mind that you're telling me. I mean, I appreciate that you're telling me. Why do you think you're telling me all this? Because I honestly, I, it's I not a criticism. No, no, right. I, I understand. It's my opinions because I really have no one to talk to. Right. I have no one to really vent this out to, and it's really like right. frustrating. So I feel like I'd have to do like a twenty-hour show with you because it's just between yeah, my yeah. atheism no, it's, it's, and everything. You're you're a man lost in the desert for a week, finally hitting an oasis, right? <laughs> right. Pretty much. I mean, this is stuff that's been bouncing around in your head. And I'm for the decades, guy. Right? You know what I mean? I'm I'm the asshole and stuff for not wanting to. When I moved out, it's like. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going back into the story. I mean, I, I I'm happy to have heard, but I, I know that it could be a 20 hour show, and you'd still have more to say. And I, I obviously can't accommodate that, though I'd like to. But no, 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 no. Okay. Uh, but no, listen. Um, you've got to get around smarter people, my friend. You have to. You just spent 10 years with this entitled woman. Mm who, you know, you're paying all the bills, you're working double shifts, you're trying to get some sleep during the day, and she's like, I don't like breakfast food, so I'm not going to go eat breakfast. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Where's my foot rub? Right? So so you don't have anyone around who's warning you about that. You don't have anyone around who's understanding your history, who's sympathetic, who's listening. Right, you are over full of terrible tales because you're around terrible people, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. Right, definitely. I mean, the people who are all on welfare, they're probably not starting off that smart, and welfare sure as hell doesn't create any incentive to get better. No, right, they, they're, they're stuck. I mean, the idea that they, they laugh at people who work, they're suckers, right? Mm-hmm. They do so. The, the people that you're around, we can never be stronger than our weakest relationship. We can never be more courageous than our most cowardly relationship. We can never be smarter than our least intelligent relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think like the, the desperation of, of revelation that, that you have in telling your story, which I hugely sympathize with, but I can also see why you would get angry because these people around you are religious, right? Like angry at my video. So I mean, I understand that too, and mm-hmm. I don't blame you for it at all. And yeah, all these people, like you were, you know, these big government. To me, I associated those with these religious people, you know, because those the people in my known circle that want big government were the religious people but you know i need to broaden my horizons i don't know other atheists and i see this movement and i try to debate with people especially people posting these irrational um leftist cleverly clipped edits of like oh this is what donald trump said this is you know it's like watch his entire debate you know what i mean like uh, it's it's like i don't know i try to have um 
logical discourse with people. And a lot of people, I know, a lot of my, with my coworkers, I work with a lot of illegal immigrants. And yeah, they are illegal and they're here on overstayed visas and cross the border where they paid coyotes a substantial fee of up to 10 grand. A lot of them are my friends. I have no issue with them. And I tell them straight in their face. It's like, yeah, like you deserve to be deported because what you did is illegal. And a uh, few of my but friends. To, to be fair, they're, they're working <laughs> a hell of a lot more than your family. De- definitely. I agree. I agree. And you know what I mean? And, 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 and I have, I, that's why I don't really, you know, I, I, t- I see all sides of the issue. I mean, like, I, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I've got a bunch of other callers. I, I can't get into illegal immigration, yeah, though yeah, I'd love yeah. to no, no listen, listen, this is not the end of our conversations. The fact that I can't get much longer here, um, you know, call back in again and, and, and we'll, we'll talk again. And you obviously have a unique on the ground perspective of this stuff. But um, here's the thing, right? So the atheists who watch my video are going to have the same reaction that the libertarians are going to have when I talked about the against me argument, which is that if, if people around you want laws that oppose your conscience, then they want you thrown in jail for disagreeing with them. And that's just a basic fact. I mean, people get mad at me, like shoot the messenger. It's like find a way to disprove the argument and um, or, or shut up, right? I mean, this is what, yeah. but, the, you know. So with atheists pointing out the fact that leftists, leftists, they infiltrate and destroy everything. They're termites in a lot of ways. Not the individuals, just the philosophy and how that's it's enacted. True. Yep. And wh- whether atheism grew out of leftism and there's some strong arguments that it did mm-hmm. or whether atheism has attracted leftists doesn't really matter yeah that doesn't the, the fact is now that atheism is riddled with leftists and social justice warriors and hysterics and, and all this kind of stuff and atheists need to clean house they need to clean house they need to say oh you're against irrational authority let's you know, Milo Yiannopoulos the other day was on a show. Good yes. to know he's back. Uh, and he was, oh, atheism is so boring. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I get that. You know, how many times can you say there is no God? How about we move on to something a little bit more pressing, which is the collapse of Western civilization as the result of rampant runaway statism? Mm-hmm. It, is, it is not the migrants. It is, not, it is the governments that are destroying Western civilization. It is the governments that are destroying Western civilization. And if people had taken a stand 10 years ago when I urged them to, or eight years ago when I urged them to, we'd be in a whole different place right now, but they didn't. And so libertarians need to look at the mirror and say, well, why didn't I? Why didn't I take the stand? Why didn't I confront people in my relationships with the evils that they promote? Why didn't I do it? Why did I just get mad at Steph for pointing it out? Well, you didn't do it. And this is the results, which is that like European civilization may fall. And and if we had raised this as an issue, the, the coercive nature of the state by bringing it up in our personal relationships, it would have become front page news. Everybody would be informed and everybody would at least have a framework for understanding what the hell is going wrong in Europe. That's the alternate history if people had listened to me um, close to a decade ago now. But everybody makes their choices. I, all I can do is make the best case I can. After that, it's, you know, you, all you yeah, can do is cook right. a healthy meal. You can't force people to eat it. They can go back to the junk food of compliance and conformity if they want. So, it almost feels atheism, like- uh, a- atheists don't want 
the personal challenges in their community any more than libertarians want the personal challenges in their community any more than until I did it, I wanted it, and then just recognizing that it, it sort of needs to be done. So yeah, there are going to be people who are upset, uh, yeah. but pointing out that there's a lot of socialism in atheism, mm -hmm. and socialism is destroying the West, and therefore atheists who accept socialism are more dangerous to the West than Christians. You know, again, I'm I'm happy to be argued out of the uh, perspective. I never said this is a hundred percent absolutely proven hypothesis. No, this is an, uh, an approach. These are questions that we need to collectively ask as a community. Mm -hmm. But you need to get, my friend, to a community of people you can talk to. And when you come out of this kind of history, these are kind of most of the people that you know. And uh, it's pretty rough. It's pretty heartbreaking. And this is why you're sort of grabbing at my ear like a drowning man at a log, right? And I, yeah. I mean that in no critical way whatsoever. No, no, I, I, I fully understand it. But you need to start expanding your horizons and the people that you spend time with, um, in my opinion, because, I mean, you've got a lot of stored up stuff to talk about and you don't have any ears in the vicinity. And I would love to continue to be the ear in your vicinity, but uh, I have to move on to the next caller. But I really appreciate the call in and uh, I appreciate you sharing what you shared. Definitely hope to call back very soon. All right. Thank you, Thanks, man. Nate wrote in and said, my question is of workplace principles. I work for a company which espouses openness and honesty, that's in quotes, as a value. However, I, recently, I was recently dinged for communicating to a client that I lacked knowledge of a recent equipment reset. In a list of complaints to my manager, the client noted my lack of knowledge about this task. My manager then advised me to withhold communications of a lack of knowledge and instead to communicate with the client that I would look into any event I didn't have knowledge about. I feel emotionally uncomfortable with this criticism. I wonder if I'm reacting against valid criticism or if there is a valid contradiction between openness and honesty and consciously modifying my response to clients on this issue. I further question the workplace principle of openness and honesty as I recognize the degree to which I withhold my emotional experience when communicating with clients, i.e. I don't communicate my frustration. I'm thinking I can no longer claim that openness and honesty is a company principle, but rather a company guideline with exceptions. Any thoughts or feelings? Thank you for taking the time to look into this. That is from Nate. Ah, uh, Nate. How much you remind me how little I sometimes miss the corporate world. Um, hey, Steph. Hi. Um, you, you sort of thoughts and feelings? So can you give me, don't give me any, obviously, industry-specific details or geography, but can you give me a sense of the kind of conversation that you had? Um, yeah, the... Um, the... Well, the, the client uh, had a list of grievances and sent those to my manager. And then, of course, the manager called me into his office. And Oh, no, no, sorry. I meant the conversation you had with the client. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, it was just a simple question um, from the, the client. Uh, you know, it, had this equipment been reset? Um, and I said, I don't know. Um, basically like that. Um, I don't know. Um, right. And... Yeah, I, I I don't like scripts. I don't like um, you know uh, since you know censoring what I say to the client. I, I try and limit that you know as much as possible. 
and um, it always bothers me when there's some sort of script or you know something like that. And um, and uh, right. whatever you do, don't admit a lack of information if you're honestly missing the information, right? Right. 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 And what do you think of the client? Well, I do a, a remote support, and so that was my first interaction with the client. So that was my first. I feel, I feel you should have an entirely different kind of accent, but maybe that's just my experience with remote support as a whole. <laughs> but, um, yeah. so, so, but it's, it's not necessarily the very best thing for the client to say, hey, you know, this is all the complaints I have about what was it, one single interaction with you? Yes. Right. Right. And um, what were the other complaints? Did, were there any complaints that you felt were valid? Well, that was the only complaint for my part. Uh, I'm a level two, and so a level one was also part of the interaction. Um, and there are some cl- complaints with the level one as well, if that makes sense. Um, it doesn't, but if you can help me understand it a bit more, I'd be, I'd be happy. Uh, the, the level one uh, initially takes the call. Uh, from the client, we have a lot of clients too, and um, you know spends uh, minimal time troubleshooting the issue. And if the level one can't resolve it, then I get the escalation. Right. So it's like with your ISP: Have you rebooted the router? Have <laughs> right. you checked that all of the cables are secure? Have you, yes, I just called you people and you hung up on me. I can't do it all again. So you're the level two, okay? And so this client had a variety of issues with you. One of which is you said, "I don't know if the equipment's been reset." Right. Um, now, that, that's honest, but obviously incomplete and, and doesn't add much to the client's sense of security, if that makes sense. Sure. sure. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, good, um, good customer service is something like, I don't know, but I can check for you and get back to you by such and such a date. Or you, you obviously don't want to be just like, nope, don't know. <laughs> awkward pause, awkward pause, right? That's not, I'm sure that's not how it went down though. Right. I, I don't. Don't recall it verbatim, but I don't think so. Right, okay. And were there any other complaints that the client had that you felt were valid? Uh, No, that was the only complaint for me. Oh, I thought you said he sent a list of complaints. Uh, The others were for the level one. Okay, sorry, sorry, okay. And so your boss said, whatever you do, don't tell the client the truth. I mean, or, or, or did he say, you know, maybe you can massage it more gently or say, I'll get back to you momentarily or something like that? Yeah, he, he recognized that I'm an honest person. But then he, he uh-huh. said, but next time, do this. Next right. Time. And what was the next time suggestion? Uh, next time, don't admit that you don't know, but say that I'll, you know, I'll look into that. Yeah, I mean... To anybody with half a brain, that's exactly the same thing, right? Um, you know, like if I say, do you know how to get to Timbuktu? And someone says, I'll look into that. They're telling me they don't know, right? Right. But okay, so he's looking for slightly different uh, information, right? Right. And what are your, uh, what's your, sort of what are my thoughts and feelings about it? I mean, do you have a sort of specific question about the issue? Well, I, I know it's it's kind of on the fuzzy edge and um, kind of in the weeds, and uh, I don't. It's just been it's been stuck in my mind. Uh, just, I guess trying to find some some clarity. Uh, uh, specific question. That, well, it, it is, Are you just basically bothered by the fact that you can't be as honest as you want to be. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
Okay. Well, you, you can, <laughs> trust me, I'm not sure who can always be as honest as they want to be. I mean, I have a job which is basically tell the truth and shame the devil. And, um, yeah, you know, when I'm honest about stuff, <laughs> people sometimes get pretty upset. And even though that's sort of in the job description. So I don't know that there's a place you can go where you can be ideally honest that's not like in a personal relationship. <sighs> Right, right. It's it's not it's not a personal relationship. It's a workplace environment, um, right? I'm I'm there to 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 do the job, right? To to provide value. Um, and, well, but you're there to provide value to people who are mostly insane. Yeah. Right. Look, I'm. I, you know, this is probably what's bothering you is is not so much. Well, you know, my boss is asking me to tell a little white lie. You know, like that's not the biggest moral issue that any of us have to deal with. But you are customer-facing, as am I, right, as is Mike and so on. And customer-facing, you know, this show, like, the, the audience that we have is a lot more robust than the general population. You know, they're like the hardened criminals. <laughs> they're not like the, uh, the new accountant coming in clutching his imaginary briefcase because he stole money from clients and somebody's going to make him his girlfriend or whatever, right? And so, we, like in, in this conversation, but even this, I have to temper what I'm going to say. Even to this audience sometimes, I have to ease them in a little. <laughs> Lube it up a little, you could say. Uh, and, like a gentleman. <laughs> and um, uh, so, I, you know, in my personal relationships, I, I'm about as frank as frank can be. I'm more frank than Sinatra. But... In like when you're facing the planet as a whole, you know, they're like uh, a bunch of, you know, fairly confused and angry apes who are frightened by flashlights. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, it, it's it's a vulnerable thing, I think, to say that I don't know. Right? It's it's. I I went to you know I was in the military for a while and I was in um. You know, I went through the training, and to to say I don't know was not an acceptable answer. Um, I, I guess it was a it's a it was weak or uh, it, it leaves you open to attack. Or... Well, yeah, yeah. So listen, listen. I mean, I'll I don't mean to interrupt you, but but I don't know. Have you seen videos where I ask for donations? Have you ever trolled through the? The sewage river of comments. Yes. From some people underneath. E begging, you e begging, you faggot, you know, you know, why don't you get a real job? Yeah, yeah, because my job is so fucking easy that, you know, why? <laughs> it's like, it's not a real job. But um, now I'm going to show up in a Mark Knopfler song, I think. But um, so when you ask for something, you are making yourself vulnerable, right? You are, um, you are giving people power over you, right? You, you know, you, you know what it's like. You go and ask a woman out, and the more you like her, the more you're scared she's going to say no, right? And, and the more attractive she is, the more cold-hearted you have to appear. Anyway, <laughs> anyway but um, so when you want something in this world, you you go for a job, you go for um, to ask a woman out on a date, you ask someone. Uh, to to buy a product or or accept your service offerings, and you 
are immediately putting that person in a position of power over you, right? Because they have the capacity to say to you yes or no. And how do most people handle power? It's an opportunity. <laughs> it's an opportunity to inflict harm that they suffered at the hands of people who had power over them, parents or teachers or whoever it was, right? And it's a chance for them to, you know, disgorge all of the stored up venom sacks of early trauma. You know, and not everyone, right? But But in general, when you uh, are in a situation where someone's paying you or you want something from someone or you you know want a date or whatever, then you are in a position of uh, submission, of, of supplication, so to speak, right? And in this situation, you're offering your services. And in general, my guess would be that when you honestly say you don't know, a person who has a good level of self-knowledge and is comfortable with their own personality and choices, they're going to say, well, I appreciate that. You know, just let me know when you get the facts and all that, right? And you will, and it's a perfectly normal interaction. On the other hand, uh, someone who themselves has no capacity to admit that they don't know something, and this is a lot of people in business. Right? If you have no capacity to admit that you don't know something, then when someone else comes along and honestly admits that they don't know something, what, what are your feelings about it? When you show a courage that a coward lacks and they have power over you, how do they react? Are you still with me? Freak out. <laughs> Yeah, you got to give me, you know, this is a show, right? So you got to not give me these pauses, right? I'm not trying to trick you or anything, but I keep thinking we've been disconnected or something. Yeah, so when you display courage that a coward lacks and that coward has power over you, he will punish you for having courage and, and acting, right? Because the coward experiences the presence of a courageous person as an insult to his history, right? You understand? Right. So, it's it's you know, it's a deep and complicated thing, and you know I have the luxury of having hour plus conversations with people about all of this stuff, where I can sort of dig in and figure out sometimes where it's coming from in their mind and heart and history. Uh, you're not really going to have much of that opportunity when you are in a business situation, right? Now. <laughs> Tell me about your child. Like, doesn't you know not going to go down uh, overly well, but. It's less upsetting to, like when you're aware of the mechanics that are occurring in these kinds of interactions, it's a lot less upsetting to experience them, right? So like when I ask people to donate time or money to what it is that um, we're doing here, freedomainradio.com slash donate, I'm fully aware that this is going to give cowardly bullies the opportunity to attempt to lord it over me, right? I mean, it's natural. It's, it's inevitable, especially on the internet, you know, where everyone's got keyboard courage and, you know, they say the kind of things they'd never say to somebody my size or my personality face-to-face. -face. 
And so knowing that going in, it's not a surprise. And of course, the reality is, what does it say about me? Nothing. What does it say about the other person? Well, that they're traumatized and cowardly and mean, you know, and no self-knowledge and, and all of that. And that this is the level of powerlessness that they actually have in their own life. You know, it's, when you have self-knowledge, it's really hard to understand just what life is like for people who don't have self-knowledge. How powerless they really are. Self-knowledge gives you like superhero powers. And a lack of self-knowledge renders you impotent, ineffective, powerless. And, you know, when I ask for something uh, online, I'm aware that, you know, a lot of frustrated and horrible and powerless people are going to look at me asking for something and try and exercise the brutality of their own histories upon me. It's inevitable. But why, why would I let little people stop me? You know, a brave man can't falter in the face of cowards. Otherwise, he has no right to claim the mantle of bravery, of courage, right? I mean, we can be stopped by giants. We, we, we cannot be stopped by mice. We can't. I mean, that's natural. And certainly in this life, you will always never get 100% of the things you don't ask for, right? If you don't ask for something, you won't get it, guaranteed. If you never ask that woman out, she's never going out with you. If you never ask for someone to be a friend, well, maybe it'll sort of happen that way. But most of the things, if you never go in and say, I want a job and put your resume in, you're never going to get that job. And so recognizing that we need to ask for things in this world if we want to get anything done. And I have an obligation to virtue, to philosophy, which means that the idea of being stopped by People who call me some e loser, e-beggar, bald spotty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Step aside, mice. We've got work to do. And so if you are committed to something bigger, and, and in your career you can be, right? I mean, you can have a long-term goal. Maybe independence, maybe starting your own business, maybe having enough money to get your FU ward and retire or whatever it is, right? You have some big goal, a bigger picture. And knowing ahead of time that when you express a deficiency, there's a power vacuum that is inhabited by trolls. You know, it sounds like this customer is kind of like a troll, right? And so you know what's going to happen and what, uh, you know what's going to happen. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. So you, you keep moving and there are going to be customers like this. And you're not in a position as yet in your career where you can fire customers. You know, I've mentioned this before. One of the most influential things I read in the business world was in Harvard Business Review when I was 20. Yeah, I was that guy. And um, it was about firing your customers. That, you know, sometimes 90% of your support budget is spent on 10% of your customers. And you really have to make sure that you don't just say, you know, the customer is always right and we've got to keep all of our customers no matter what. But you have to review the spending you have on customers and figure out which ones you want to keep and which ones you don't want to keep because you want to reward good customers with better service and deny good service to bad customers, A, because it's not profitable and B, because that's not really very nice to 
the good customers, right? And it's not really fair. So if you know all of that stuff, then I think it's a lot easier. And, and of course, if you're spending a lot of time, a lot of your time around reasonable people, then it can, of course, well, be a little bit startling <laughs> to be around you know, the, the troll muggles uh, that infest the planet to some degree. Um, and you'll run into them in business from time to time for sure. Does that, does that help at all? Yes, yes, thank you. Um. All right. Okay, well, um, I, I hope it uh, works out, and uh, let us know how it goes, if there's anything else we can do to help, and uh, let's move on to the next caller. I appreciate it, Steph. Thank you. All right. Well, Patrick will be next. He wrote in and said, I was born and lived 13 years in Canada until we moved with my family to Lebanon. The culture clash hit me straight in the face. I'm currently 23, 10 years later, and I still can't get along with some of the locals. These days, I'm getting the urge to change others. Is it really possible to, and to which extent? That's from Patrick. Hello, Patrick. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. Glad to be on your show. Nice to chat with you. How are you today? Uh, amazing. Good, good. All right. Do you, I mean, this sketchy for, you know, a tidy-whitey like me. So what, um, like, over here in Kanistan, is there anything you wanted to add to sort of the, the comments or questions that you had to fill me in a little more? Well, basically, uh, to brief you up on this situation, it will take time. So I thought of, like, um, doing it in a step-by-step -step manner. Like, first of all, I will brief you on my situation. Then I will brief you on the Lebanese mentality. Then basically on the situation of the country. And then we could uh, discuss what I mean by change. Well, I'm, I'm comfortable and uh, ready for you to begin. Okay, so uh, like I said in the introduction, uh, 13 years ago, I, I moved to Lebanon with my family. My father was an aerospace engineer in Canada, and then uh, we, he was investing in Lebanon from time to time to build a, a house. And then uh, when the house got built, we moved to Lebanon. Uh, first year, I, I got pretty surprised by, by the... Sorry, I'm stressed a bit, and English is not my... Uh, you're doing well, and I'm sorry, just, just if you pause for a sec, do you mind if I ask uh, what your ethnicity is? Uh, I'm Canadian, Caucasian. Oh, no, no, I get that, but are you, are you white? Are you, yeah, I'm just I'm curious, because Patrick Caucasian. is... Caucasian. Caucasian, yeah. okay, uh, because Patrick is like the, it's an Irish name, and, and it just sounds like you've, you've traveled around, and I just want to get a bit of perspective on that. Okay, uh, so, um, sorry, continue. And listen, don't worry about your language. Listen, I, I tell you this, Patrick, and I've said this to other callers too, I'm so bad with non-computer foreign languages. Like, give me another computer language. I can learn my 15th by now or something, right? But I'm so bad at learning non-English languages, and I've tried German and French and so on, barely competent, that anybody who's not a native speaker in English, who speaks to me in English, you already have my massive admiration uh, just, just for, I mean, anyway, English is a tricky language as well, too, to, to put it mildly. So um, don't, don't, don't worry about that. You're doing great. Fair enough, fair enough. Thank you. Okay, like I said, uh, like the Americans investing in Mexico to build a house and live off of low taxes when they retired, my, my father was investing in Lebanon from time to time. And obviously, he was paying taxes in Canada. 
and he had a six figures income. So had a pretty good income and then he built a, a sort of villa in Lebanon and we moved there 13 years ago with the and whole so family. Why, why, why Lebanon? I mean, just throw a dartboard at a globe or was there family history there or what? Okay, so my father is Lebanese and my mother is Canadian. Okay. So it was sort of like his dream to move, to move back here. And I'll sort of deal with the situation in the country later because there was war yeah. when he moved to Canada. So in 1975, there was the civil war in Lebanon. And he moved a bit before the civil war because uh, his father was giving him an opportunity for work. And then he, he studied in Canada for uh, his whole life, and then he continued working there. So basically, uh, he lived around 20 years in Canada, or 25 years. Okay, then we moved to Lebanon, and as I found out, it wasn't as, as extremist as I thought. Because on the, on the multimedia, they, they always give you the, this impression as, uh, that the Middle East is this, uh, this sort of country where women are wearing burqa and uh, there's always terrorism, and those sort of things. Okay, so in my conversation today, what I'd like to do is shed light on what is really happening in the mind of people around here. I'm going to give a unique insight a unique analysis on the situation and mentalities. And sort of like give like the cycle of what is happening inside the mind of people. So first of all, I got here. What strike me? No desert. We live on a mountain chain. It's very green. People in the same family don't get married. That, that's a cliche. Uh, the woman oh, like the cousin marriages. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's but, but, a cliche. Yeah, okay. Uh, but uh, Lebanon also has a fairly Christian history too, right? Indeed, indeed. Yeah, okay. It's 45% Christian, I think. Yeah, it's 45% Christian. I'll get to that later too. Uh, they are rarely women wearing burqa. The hijab is not everywhere, but it's like 10% of women are, are wearing the hijab. It's the veil in front of the face. We have beaches, a lot of beaches. Women are wearing bikinis. They are nightclubs. But that's, again, that's when, when uh, the multimedia outside Lebanon are giving uh, a cliche view of the country. They're always saying that, like, Lebanon, it's the Paris of the Middle East. But that's very, very cliche. I'm just starting with the good part because I'll get to the bad part later. Women go to school and university, so th there's education. But before I left Canada, I thought, there was, I thought it would be something completely different. The weather is amazing. The nature is amazing. The mountain chain is amazing. The sea is amazing. We have snow. And the food uh, is great. Historical science are great too. So basically, the country itself is fabulous. But everything that involves people is... Ah, I'll, I'll talk to you about that. Okay, so you have anything to add after the, the intro? 
Um, no, I, I'll hold off on what I wanted to add about the people after you talk about the people. So go ahead. Okay. So after the intro, I want to talk about uh, the Lebanese mentality. And then after the Lebanese mentality, I'll, I'll deal with the environment because it's obviously, ob obviously related. One affects the other and the other affects the other. Okay, so you had a series about uh, R versus K mentalities. And when I was watching it, uh, I thought about Lebanon, obviously, and I thought, are Lebanese more R than K? And then you said at the beginning of the introduction that man used to live in the hunter-gatherer society as hunters. And when they ran out of food, they, they switched to the, they left the hunter society because of fight and they, they want to live in the, in the coldest climates to be, to be a gatherer and more like a gardener, a gardener. That's what we say. Yeah. Farmers, but yeah. Farmers. Okay. And to, to, to focus on long-term uh, investment and uh, thinking about the future. So how I see Lebanon, it's in the step of moving from this hunter-gatherer to farmer. They're still in the fight, if we want to say it. So the sentence I would use to qualify a Lebanese is impatient, opportunistic, exploiter. What was the first word? Impatient. Impatient. Opportunistic, exploiter. Okay. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, it's all in the mentality. Uh, Lebanese have a superiority complex. They want to be their own leader. They want to be in front of the pack, like those old hunters. They want to show others like they're, they're in the front. Look at me. Uh, but they also have that group psychology, like they're bunched together in a chaotic way. Uh, so, so they want to appear in front of the pack and that they know everything. But in fact, they, they, they have a very restricted knowledge of things. They have a local knowledge of things. Uh, they have so much of a local knowledge that they, they, they copy their peers. So they want to appear in front of others, but, but, but by copying their peers, like if, if someone has a shiny widget or something, a sort of behavior that appears in the front, they want to copy that, even if it's very, very bad in a moral way. So what, what does it lead to? A society with people with bad behavior. Like, for example, uh, I, I made a website about explorable explanation. Explorable explanation, it's a way of, uh, of explaining something to someone by letting him explore a subject. So I made a website to, to try to explain to people why the, the traffic in Lebanon, uh, people driving cars were really bad drivers. So an example is if, if there's a red light, because we, we have traffic light, if, if there's a red light, people will pass the red light if they see no one around them. If they see someone wearing fancy clothes, they'll wear fancy clothes. Fancy cars, they'll try to get fancy cars, even, even if they get in debt. Okay, also one thing, okay, that's a special thing about Middle Eastern countries. 
and immigration. If you want to migrate to Lebanon, you need someone called the kafir. A kafir, it means a master. You need someone and the country that will accept you so you're able to work here. And anything that happens in the country, like if the if you kill someone and you're, it's the employer that will be responsible for you. So they got also that superiority complex from, from those laws. Uh, if you have anything to add, you, you can cut me at any moment. No, no, listen, I'm, I mean, I, I, I've never lived in Lebanon, so I, I'm happy to, I'm happy to hear. Please go ahead. Keep going. Okay. So, like I said, uh, if something happens, if, if the employee does something bad, it's the employer that's responsible for him. So that gives them a, a superiority complex. Yeah, but basically, everyone that's not Lebanese in Lebanon is treated like a slave, literally. Like, they, they, they won't talk to you directly, they will talk to your superior. But not slave as slave, like, we have a lot of Filipino in Lebanon, but they don't work as waiter or in, in big uh, companies. What they do, their only job is to clean houses. They don't do anything else. So uh, people have this stereotype that if someone is a Filipino, he is a house cleaner. Okay, but this is really weird when the people are slaves themselves. They're slaves to their superiority complex by following other people. Uh, right, right. Uh, uh, so they follow morals that aren't morals just for the appurtenance of the group. They want to be in the group. And when they're faced with the reality of, like, someone tells them, no, you live in this situation, the situation which I'll talk about later when I finish the, the talk about the mentality, they, they, they'll go against this opinion. It's completely hypocrite. Right. They think of, this, of themselves too highly. And there was uh, an example of that to a destructive level recently. Uh, there was a newspaper, uh, Saudi Arabian newspaper, that released uh, a caricature about Lebanon showing how it's, uh, it's kind of the slave of Saudi Arabia because the main funds of Lebanon come from Saudi Arabia. What was the response from the people? A group of people, a guy called Pierre Hashash and his friend went to the offices of the newspaper and they attacked them. They literally went to the office. They wait, wait, you mean physically attacked them? Not physically. They, they, they threw paper around. They, they threw their paper and oh. computers around. So still, still better than people protesting Donald Trump. Okay, still much more civilized than that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so I have a friend who wrote an article about it, and he said, it is an attack to the last piece of dignity that we as Lebanese have, giving us an image of barbaric who can take <laughs> differing opinions, who, right. think, who think fists are the proper response to speech, who think that chaos right. is more appropriate than order, and who think that our dignity is restored with violence not with honor. Okay, so uh, I'm currently working on a book about evolutionary psychology, and there's a, a section I'm going to talk about that. 
Uh, when people are faced with the difference of opinion, they usually go uh, into the state of bomb in the brain. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, you want to differentiate by IQ here, right? Uh, I'm, I'm more than like, you know, I invite people on my show all the time who I disagree with. And that's because I'm comfortable having those conversations. And I'm, you know, I flatter myself perhaps uh, in thinking that I'm going to do quite well in those interactions. And uh, so I don't mind that. But people who don't have much intelligence when they come across a contrary opinion, it highlights two things. It highlights their lack of ability and it highlights their vanity. Dumb people, less intelligent people, and I'll tell you later why I'm mentioning all of this, but less intelligent people spend their whole lives thinking they're great and avoiding anything that might challenge that hypothesis, <laughs> to put it mildly, right? I mean, the number of times that I've been in a coffee shop or a bar, you know, for the talking with someone, and this person just have, has all the answers. It's just like this, period, you know? And, you know, it turns out that they're a waiter someplace. And it's like, okay, well, you've got these great answers. Why don't you start writing articles? Why don't you put yourself out there in the public sphere? Why don't you write a book? Why don't you... Do something that is getting... No. <laughs> right? No. He wants to be a big fish in a little pond. And it is like the villain in Of Mice and Men, like Steinbeck's novel, the, the guy who's short and really, really touchy, really hypersensitive. And less intelligent people attack contrary ideas but not not because they can't handle them. I mean, there's tons of things I can't handle. You know, I can't handle Ronda Rousey in a ring. So guess what? I don't get with Ronda Rousey. I couldn't handle Ronda Rousey out of the ring. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't handle Ronda Rousey uh, in a thumb wrestling contest, right? And so there's tons of things I can't handle. So I know that. And I know what my strengths and my weaknesses are. So I work with, with what God gave me, <laughs> right? So, um, but less intelligent people... They attack contrary opinions because they can't handle them and because of the Dunning-Kruger effect where people who aren't intelligent think they're much smarter than they are. And it's very tough if you're not intelligent to recognize that you're not intelligent because with lower intelligence comes greater vanity, which is why the smartest people tend to be quite humble and tend not to like ordering people around because you know, as I've talked about when it comes to voluntarism and all that, I don't tell people what to do. I'm a smart man. I'm a wise man. I've got the biggest philosophy show in the world. I'm still not telling people what to do because what is it I first say to people? I'm an amateur. I don't know what I'm talking about. These are just my opinions. I can't tell you what to do. I am humble when it comes to telling people what to do because I can't possibly drink deep of the cup of life that somebody else has lived for 20 or 30 or 40 or more years in an hour or half an hour or whatever. So uh, I am not certain how the poor should be taken care of. I am not certain how roads should be built. I'm not certain how national defense or currency, I'm, I don't know. And people say, well, what's your solution? What's your? No, there's the whole point of having brains is recognizing the limitations of having brains. People who are short on brains think they're very tall on knowledge. Uh, and uh, the, the more arrogant somebody is in terms of it's just like this, this is the answer, this is what we should do, it should go like this, do this, do that, period, right? Then the less intelligent they are. 
And so this is probably why. I mean, this is why you see with with lower IQ cultures or geographies this attack on different opinions because there's certainty combined with ignorance. And certainty and ignorance are pretty much two sides of the same coin. I don't mean certainty about principles. I mean certainty about specific solutions for other people. Just do this and everything will be great. And uh, this is why I'm much more into thou shalt not rather than thou shalt. I have no problem saying to someone, don't steal, don't kill, don't rape, don't assault. After that, I'm, I'm kind of, I run out of things to do pretty, pretty quickly. You know, stay, stay on your side of the knife and we're, we're totally fine. Uh, and have your knife stay on the outside of my ribs and we're, you know, whatever you want to do with that is fine after that. So um, that aspect of, so when people aren't interested in free speech, and you see this on American university campuses, right? I mean, American uni- university campuses have opened the floodgates to a not-so-intelligent populations, a set of populations. And if you look at the makeup of the social justice warriors, it's not hard to figure out who they are. They've opened up their floodgates to less intelligent people, and so less intelligent people are absolutely certain that they're right and absolutely certain that everyone who disagrees with them is evil and absolutely certain that they know exactly what needs to be said, exactly what needs to be done, and anyone who disagrees with them is just completely immoral. And that's just what happens is when you let the barbarians into the gates, you don't have Rome anymore. You don't have a Senate. You have, um, you know, a screeching red-faced set fire to the couches mob rule. I'm not characterizing all of Lebanon, of course, in that way. But uh, and, and the last thing I'll say is that, you know, you say that people don't marry within their family. Well, um, no, they do. They're, I mean, obviously, not everyone. And, and, you know, if you're from a more intelligent family, then clearly, right? And, you know, if your parents are coming from different um, regions or ethnicities or histories, then, of course, they didn't. But the hard data about Lebanon is pretty, is pretty clear. Uh, and the hard data is this, that 42% of the marriages are blood-related. 42% of the marriages are blood-related. That is hard data. Now, what's not quite so hard data, but probably is not far off, is and probably largely as a result of the fact that 42% of the marriages are consanguine or blood-related marriages, that the average IQ in Lebanon is about 82. And that is very low. So yeah, uh, right. I'm happy to, you know, please continue. I just wanted to give that perspective to, to sort of people, uh, at least from, you know, I obviously I, I can't follow you in the travelogue, but I can give you some principles behind it. Yeah, but most of the blood-related marriages and weddings are done in the poor regions. I'll talk about segregation sure. later. Of course, L- low IQ people prefer blood marriages because they can't compete with high, they can't get high IQ mates. So, of course, they're going to prefer low IQ uh, people, just like, you know, insecure men like third world immigrants coming in because they have very high sexual market value relative to the third world immigrants as compared to, you know, the cheerleader or, or in high school or something. And so, for sure, you poor people like consanguineous marriages because, especially if they're arranged consanguineous marriages, because then they don't have to test their sexual market value in the open marketplace. And so, because they can't compete with the high IQ people when it comes to marriage, they prefer blood-related marriages, which means that they're most likely all going to stay dull, right, low IQ, because that's what, what it happens. Okay, let's mention something uh... What I said in the introduction, like uh, 
I didn't meet people that had consanguineal marriage wedding. It means I didn't see them directly. Mm. It also means that there there is a huge segregation in Lebanon. Oh yeah, uh, uh, Lebanon is quite apartheid, right? With regards to the Palestinians. Mm. Uh, I'll talk to that about later. Okay, okay. You, you, you go ahead. Don't let me lecture you on. You are the conduit from Lebanon to the audience, not not me to Wiki. So go ahead. Okay, so I talked about the superiority complex. Now I'll talk about the do or die mentality. We're still in the post-war period, or actually war, and uh, quotes. <laughs> so people are in a in a situation of stress. So they, they are under the effect of cortisol, the hormone of stress. And uh, you know the effect of cortisol on children. Uh, if children are exposed to cortisol when they're, when, when they're very young, to, for a long period of time, the, their, brain develop, their brain development is lower. They are more aggressive, more violent. They, they don't follow orders. They, they, they vandalize. But it also affects the, the happiness of people. It makes them cling to material stuff. And when people are not happy, happiness is related to, to success, to status, and to, 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 to the way of living. Yeah, less intelligent people measure themselves against other people rather than their own potentiality or to objective values or virtues. Okay. And this makes them even more the slaves, right? So there's an expression you probably remember from your time in Canada uh, called keeping up with the Joneses, which is, you know, well, uh, the, 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 the neighbors just bought a nicer car, so now we have to go and buy a nicer car. And the neighbors put in a swimming pool, now we have to put in a swimming pool because we're competing with the neighbors. And uh, generally it's less intelligent people who focus strongly on competing Okay. with other people um, because they don't have any objective way to measure their value so it's all relative to uh, other people and who are they looking up to the politicians and who are they war criminals well it's a, i mean it's um in england i mean it's the same thing with regards to the royalty right at least it used to be i don't know if it's probably not quite so much i don't think a lot of people living in brixton from somali descent are very interested in what prince harry is up to these days but um yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is. It is terrible. They they take the wrong, you know, they take the wrong role models and spend their lives running after these people um, who morally are probably fairly reprehensible, to put it mildly. Running after pain and misery. So poor people spend time raising their statuses. And they stress, and stress itself lowers their status and their happiness. They cling to their phones, their jobs. They drive fast. They're angry, and this angriness makes children more stressed, and stress makes brain smaller and makes children more violent. And this cycles continue. But all in all, it's just a feeling to hide insecurity, and they just want to belong to the group. They see everything as a personal attack. They react with emotions. They just want to show that they're better than anyone else. Now, uh, a note on status. Uh, as I said, I'm writing, writing a book about uh, 
evolutionary psychology and status itself uh, related to the hunter-gatherer society used to be a matter of life and death. And when you lose status, uh, you have a, a bunch of emotion that, uh, that, that emerge in the person. Envy, uh, fear, uh, the, the, if they repress the feeling, they, they, they look down on themselves to accept that they're lower than someone else. Uh, and if it's in the same field as the, the other person, like for example, if you're in the computer business and someone is better than you in the computer business, then you, you calibrate your status against him. You will feel angry about angry at what he does, and this anger can convert itself to to violence, and that's what's happening here. Now, how how what do you mean? How is that manifesting? This violence? Uh, it's in the way people react to show their status. They do it in a provocant manner. I, uh, Let's say someone is driving on the highway and uh, someone's driving a bit slower. He will start to flash the light as if it's a shotgun or AK-47. Then he will cut him off and he will <laughs> honk a lot. That's just an example. Right. Uh, one time it happened to me and the guy almost hit me. Uh, they, they, they do it on purpose, just to show like, that they're superior in, a, in an animal way, if I can say, rustic way. Okay, but, but this, this feeling of what happens when Lebanese come, go outside? In Lebanon, there are no taxes. When you get rich, you get really rich and you get arrogant. But when you go outside Lebanon, and you have those mentality of going ahead of people and you're better. It's very good at the entrepreneurship business. Because other Westerners are less likely to, to go against you. They're more civilized, if I can say. But the Lebanese passport doesn't is restricted a bit, so people usually travel to Saudi Arabia, and uh, that's the link between Saudi Arabia and Lebanon, the main income. So smart people leave the country, <laughs> and they come back rich. They come back with big heads, and they think they are very high. And you talk with any university university students, you tell them, what do you want to do? They want to work abroad and come back, bring money to the country. Which is wrong in some ways. Okay, you have an old... Why? You, you mean wrong, like wrong how? What do you mean? Wrong as in, they go work a normal job outside, but they don't invest in the other country, they come back. And... Hmm? They come back with big heads. That's, that's the right. issue. They right. Because in Lebanon, there are no taxes, so it's a tax heaven. They invest here, so... You got what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Okay. So the people that stays and don't go ab abroad, they abuse the system. So the people that stay and that are smart, they abuse the minority that is stupid. 
smart surrounded by them, it equals corruption. Now, can you just, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, I'm a little confused when you say there's no taxes in Lebanon. It's very, very, very low. <laughs> Personal income tax, 20%, 15% corporate tax, 10% sales tax, 23.5% social security tax. Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Maybe lower, obviously, than other places, but it's not no tax. I mean on the goods. Oh, no sales tax, you mean? Yeah. Well, here we got this 10% sales tax. Maybe, maybe people don't pay it as much as they should, but it seems to be definitely there. Yeah, but it's not added when you pay. It's already... Oh, it's built in? Yeah, built in. All right. Okay, just I don't want to confuse, like with a, some sort of tax-free society, which, you know, I've talked about in the past. I just want people to get confused about that, but uh, okay. Okay, I have anything to add? Um, let's just see here. So, let's see. Yeah, free market, not great in uh, Lebanon, right? I mean... Um, no, we have a lot of monopoly. It's got, yeah, 59.5. It's, it's 98th in the world, just above Indonesia, and just below Bhutan, right? So, not, not a very... Uh, not a very free economy, right? And again, that's a lower IQ population. That's probably, that's where you're going to end up because it takes a high IQ population to appreciate the long-term value of the free market because, you know, the free market and introducing free market reforms is tough in the short run and, and beneficial in the long run. Uh, and so I, uh, yeah, I mean, so if it's a low IQ uh, environment, um, until the IQ is raised, I mean, the, the economy is not going to improve. And uh, given that nobody knows how to raise IQ, uh, that's one of these grim truths about life that that you know you have to accept if you want to grow up. I don't mean you, just other people and so on. But sorry, go ahead. Okay, I want to talk about segregation and sectarianism. Sectarianism is when you uh, separate the population depending on the religion. Okay, in Lebanon, religion is is politic. It's completely tied, and the laws they are things related to religion. So basically, uh, during the 1975 uh, civil war, the, the country got, uh, got divided by religion. The, the Christian were in the mountain region, the Shia Muslim and the borders, and the Sunni uh, probably everywhere. But when you, you think about it, uh, people don't re look at the religion as a religion. They look at it as a appurtenance to a group, as a politic group. Because when you vote for a leader, you don't vote for him. You vote for his religion. So when you want to take place in the parliament, you don't take place for the ideology. You take place for your religion. So it's, it, it's a way of manipulating the country, if I can say. Okay, that's the sort of segregation. Second segregation is the segregation of wealth, poor and rich. Uh, on the borders, we have very poor people on the borders across Syria. They are so poor, the only way for them to live is to go in the army. 
they go in the army, they die. Uh, and we have the, the big brains, what they do, or they leave, they bring money, and they have extreme, extremely good education and super big houses. Uh, and they think of them, themselves highly. And we have those other kinds that they don't leave the country and they abuse the system. So basically, you combine the two and you get a pretty messed up situation. Also, to add to that, there is a bit of sexual repression in Lebanon. And uh, I watched your uh, video about an article related to this and uh, sexual repression is related to uh, less number of personalities because you have uh, less freedom so less personality and a stricter society you have you have more people that are alike like in china people look the same so and th that was the bit about segregation okay now i um uh, if you have a question, I you know if you're going to do a book, I, I don't want you to obviously read the book on on my show. If you have a question, I'm happy to answer, but otherwise, I'm probably going to have to move on. Okay, so change. Like you've heard, I'm spending time with crazy and dangerous people around me. Their personality are socially transmitted disease. We turn like the people we surround ourselves with. What should we do in this situation? I try to get people to listen. People won't listen. It's so yeah. deep in their blood. You can't change others. You can't change the status of others. Who can you change? Can, can you change children and this kind of society? No. No, because if you change children, then you end up colliding with the interests of their parents who don't want them to change. And you will lose access to the children. Very. I mean, if you were a teacher and you wanted to go and teach people philosophy, uh, the kids' philosophy, the kids would go home and say, hey, teachers teach me all this great new wonderful stuff. And um, what happened, right? I mean, you, the, the parents will get you fired or you won't be there anymore. And right, I'll just reassert control over their kids. Then who should be targeted? The people of opinions? Well, why, why, I mean, why is it your job to fix Lebanon? I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm missing something here, but why don't you just find a place uh, where you can enjoy the culture that is rather than trying to wrestle to improve the intelligence of an IQ82 country well, where not... half the people marry their cousins? I mean, I, I don't know why, like, unless you can find, I don't know, some serum to, to increase intelligence. I, I mean, I, you, nobody knows how to increase intelligence. So I don't know. I mean, I think you're kind of, as they say, tilting at windmills here, like from Don Quixote, right? Like you're not, I don't think there's a plan here that, that, that has a chance of, of, of working. Like you've said in the past, integrity at the moment is extremely costly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, uh, the, the, you can't do more than the internet, my friend, right? I mean, the, the internet and people have access to the entire canon of Western philosophy, of, of self-knowledge, of, of wisdom accumulated through the ages from all cultures. It's right at the tip of their phone. And 
you, you know, if, if, if you were to say, well, to, to make the world more egalitarian, to make the world more peaceful, to make the world better, to make the more world have share more values, what I'm going to do is find a way to virtually for free get the sum total of the world's knowledge into the palm of every human being in the world in their own language. Right? And, and um, that's already been achieved for the most part. And so if that had was your goal and you'd sweated blood to achieve it, well, you would have by now achieved it. And there are no or few external formal barriers to the acquisition of knowledge for anyone who has the internet. Now, I know, right, there's translation issues and some internets uh, are censored and so on. Uh, and, um, you know, I've said to people, you know, stay and fight, but that's in high IQ countries, right? I mean, then, then stay and fight, right? But, uh, you know, casting your pearls before a swine, I mean, what happens, right? So, yeah, my, my suggestion would be uh, that you find uh, a culture that is closer to, to what you want and what you value and go and work to make that culture even better, right? I mean, if, if you want to be a basketball coach, you don't take the little guy from Game of Thrones and, and work him really hard, right? I mean, it, it, if you want to be a... If you want to be a singing coach and, and you want to get someone to the top level of the singing profession, you, you don't take Harvey Feinstein. Like you, don't, you don't take people with like weird, growly voices and try and get them to sing opera, right? I mean, you, you get the best possible opera mm-hmm. and um, go, go forward with that, right? I mean, you, you, you get the best and make it better. You don't try and get the crap and make it good, right? Now, I've talked with Syrians. They, they should be staying and fighting, but that's because it's actually a war. This is not, you're not talking about martial combat here, right? You're talking about bringing reason to a, a cousin marriage, low IQ population. And, and that's, man, I mean, it, it's not, it's not going to work. Indeed. You, you need at least, at least an IQ in the low 90s to even have a remotely functioning democracy. And, um, you know, if you really want to help the world, as I've said before, um, you know, we need to admit this uh, IQ disparity across the world. Uh, we need to put our resources into figuring out how to close the gap if there's genetics involved. If there's not genetics involved, we're totally hosed. Right? People say, oh, if it's genetics, it's, no. if it's, genetics, it's fixable. You know, if, it, if, it, if it's genetics, there's a possibility of being able to fix it. If it's not genetic but culture well then you can't there's nothing you can do because low iq cultures resist smart people coming in and giving them better tools because of the the vanity and insecurity of having low iq they just reject it every single time so um and and the benefits that accrue to a low iq iq population in a free society the benefits that accrue are beyond their time horizon of planning and um so it's not, you know, you're asking me what you can do. Well, I would say get yourself to a place where your gifts will be appreciated. Okay, so the answer to what percentage of your life should be spent to share virtue depends on the country. <laughs> Lebanon, zero. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm trying not to be a determinist here, but, you know, we, we have to place our resources where they have the most value. And, you know, if you, if you, if you have, um, you know, uh, a fat Chinese guy or a lean Kenyan who wants you to coach them in running 
take the lean canyon, right? I mean, it's just, that's what's going to, you, you're going to, that guy's going to go far. And if, if you want to coach the world, you don't just grab random people and just start barking good, good suggestions at them. You find people who are motivated, who have some sort of natural ability, who don't have, I don't know, huge weight issues. You know, like there's no ballet coach that's going to pick me out of a lineup and say, yes, that man, he's almost 50, he can't touch his toes, and he has the rhythm of an epileptic seagull flying into a propeller. So he's the guy I want to work with. And it's like, no, go work with some young Nadia Kamenich you want to be so that your teaching skills are going to get the most traction. Okay. But it's pretty doom. <laughs> Well, but but recognizing where things aren't going to work is very very important, right? I mean, if 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 you're heading in the wrong direction in the woods, don't you want someone to tell you? Of course yes. you do, right? <laughs> you could you could come to Canada and talk about the refugee crisis and give some very useful perspective. Like if you bring these people to Canada, all you're going to get is a slice of Lebanon in Canada. You're not going to get people who are going to become Canadians. Okay, makes sense. So, yeah, there's a lot that you have to offer, but um, you might want to be around some more capable people if you want to improve people's thinking. Um, it may not be the best. It may not be the best raw material to to work from. And also, too, like the high IQ people get corrupted by the shallow values of the country, right? I've seen this in other cultures as well, that the high IQ people, um, because the culture is defined by vanity because there are so many low IQ people around, They end up wanting to just lord it over the less intelligent people, which is a pretty pitiful thing to be doing. So you can't even reach the high IQ people because they're consumed by the vanity of the entire cultural environment they grew up in. Mm. So you need to choose carefully who you're targeting, someone that, that is at least able to listen and understand. If you've got a helicopter called intelligence that you want to land safely, find some solid ground. You know, this this hovering over a swamp and crossing your fingers, you're just going to run out of gas at some point and there's going to be a, a ball of flame and an instant sunburn. Yeah, this summer I'm taking vacations in Quebec, Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go, you know, go, go to Quebec and try to get them to, to not be rabid socialists constantly threatening Canada with a divorce to shake down the rest of the population. That might be interesting. That might be a worthwhile thing to be doing um, because, you know, lots of smart people in Quebec. I lived okay. there for four years, so I have some. I can talk about that. So, yeah, that would be that would be my suggestion. Fair enough. It's the right. bomb, bomb in the brain. <laughs> yeah, it's the bomb in the brain, and you you need access to the wiring to defuse it. And IQ eighty two country, you're probably not going to get anywhere close. So, all right, and move on to the next caller. But thank you very much. If you get your book out, let us know, and um, we can uh, maybe push it out to see if we can get some eyeballs to you. But uh, appreciate the call. Thanks, everyone, so much for calling in. Thank you for keeping this show sparkling, effervescent, and as tasty as a 25-year-old $750 bottle of champagne. Look at that. I tied the whole show together with that one tipping memory. So, uh, freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out with the show, which we hugely appreciate and need. And need. We can't do it without you. Can't do it without you. I'm just talking to, um, I don't know, a yogurt cup otherwise. Uh, so... Um, yeah, we just, the whole camera broke and I just had to get, no, no, it's all horribly expensive stuff. Plus, you know, the success of the show, we're doing like over five 
million views on YouTube a month, similar number of podcasts. We don't pay for the bandwidth on YouTube. We got to pay for the podcast bandwidth. Uh, even though we use SoundCloud and BitTorrents and all, we got all that under. But, you know, there's people who are, they're old school and they just, they hate our server and want to watch it smoke, uh, even though it's probably going to get sick. But, uh, yeah, so we got to pay for all of that. Uh, if you can help out, freedomainradio.com slash donate, fdrurl.com slash Amazon. Use the affiliate link, uh, like, subscribe, share the video, fdrpodcast.com. Please share it around. Thank you, everyone, so much for the great honor and privilege of speaking so powerfully and intimately with you about what is most important to you and your lives. And thank you everyone for helping us build the base of a truly free and beautiful future. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.